Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic Wazumi. Today's episode is sort of like a sequel to the previous one, where we talked a little bit more about Shadows Over Innistrad spoilers and whether or not it's still a good set and worth buying into. And you just, just have to really make that a assumption for yourself, whether or not. And I brought back the previous guest, Alec. And we discussed, you know, a lot of stuff for about two hours, which has got to say it's been my longest podcast yet, which isn't a bad thing. So before we get on with it, I would just like to thank mtgcast.com for, you know, help putting out this podcast. They're a pretty good website. I like how they are sort of the MTG podcast network for you know, a lot of podcasts out there that, you know, try to help get a name for themselves out there. I appreciate for what they do. And if you wish to get a hold of me or send me any questions or ask me anything like that, you can find me on Twitter at Zubatron, Z-U-B-A-T-R-O-N. And also um, the Magic Wazubi Twitter, which is at Magic Wazubi. And you can also find us at Facebook, um, just facebook.com slash magicwazubi. You can also find my website where I write a lot of articles and also post the new podcast episodes, magicwazubi.com. And finally, you can email me at mtgzubi at gmail.com. Yeah, it's, I'm fighting a cold right now. It just seems to be going around everywhere. So, yeah, you'll you'll hear me throughout the podcast try to cough and, you know, sniffle. And, oh, God, it's just, it's like just when I thought it was over, it, it just seems to be coming back full force. But without further ado, here is the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Good, Zoby. How you doing tonight, man? <clears throat> I'm awake. I just had a little nap earlier and woke up. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm slightly jealous. I wish I had done that. It would have <laughs> it would have made me probably much more energetic at this moment. <laughs> uh you had a busy day? Yeah, yeah. Kind of a long day. Just uh getting stuff done around the house and uh we took some friends out with us this afternoon and got to spend some time with my girls and but it was a yeah, good day, just a just a bit of a burn burner, a big long one. Do you also work on the weekends? No, no, typically not. Uh, I mean, if it gets really busy and we're behind during the week, I'll I'll work on a Saturday sometimes. But uh, typically not. I try to make it so that I at least have a couple days off. Well, that's not too bad, at least. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Not bad at all. So, how has your week been? It's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Uh, just <clears throat> working mostly and uh, taking a look at some of the spoilers that have been coming out. I, I unfortunately didn't get to go to FNM last night. I was kind of bummed oh, out sucks. about that. But yeah, and it, that's just because that uh, children are walking and breathing and talking plague factories. And my wife got sick and I was like, well, I'll just stay home with the kids and help her tonight for that. But uh, I did get to play some 
uh, moto and been doing the sealed leagues and a few drafts just here and there, um, getting in some playtime when I can. But uh, how about you? Did you get to uh, play this week? Yeah, I got to do Modern Mondays and I got to do FNM last night. Oh, how did Modern go? And yeah, finally Modern, I broke my um, two-two barrier where I was only going two and two, and finally went three and one for the first time. Beautiful, beautiful. <clears throat> you still using the uh, the Grixis deck, or, no, or what I, were you on? I didn't feel like thinking at, that much on Monday, so I decided to go with Elves. Oh. It, okay. It's a lot more, well, if you know Elves, it's a lot linear, a lot more linear. And Yeah, uh, absolutely. Is that like the uh, the uh, Heritage Druid and, and all of those, just make a bunch of mana and dump a bunch of Elves? Pretty much. Very pretty cool. Much. I like to um, think of it as, by turn two, if I'm not vomiting up my hand, then something I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it works. I mean... Going wide is a strategy that works right now against Eldrazi, it seems. So, I mean, Elves has been doing pretty good recently over competitive scenes. So, yeah, it's uh, um, it's I've been pretty excited about it. Um, my thankfully my local meta is not very akin to what's going on competitively. I mean, we have the Affinity and Abzan Company and Jund and all that, but no one really plays Eldrazi right now. And I'm kind of glad about that, honestly, after that one showing at the Pro Tour. Yeah, I, I don't blame you at all. I mean, that that deck is... and I, Most of my modern I get to play, I actually play online. We unfortunately don't have a great uh, paper modern uh, community here um, where I'm at. But I, I do get to play it online, and, and I can tell you that I am dead sick of Eldrazi at this point. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah, it's it's only been recently that Modern has become something at my um, game store. I think everybody in my area just got sick and tired of Standard being so expensive. And surprisingly, Modern has been more popular on a Monday than F&M has been. Good grief. Which, which is, it's very strange. I'm hoping that when rotation happens, it'll bring more people back. Because like just like last night, we only had 10 12 people for standard wow yeah it was kind of and it went by really fast usually we normally don't finish standard until maybe 11 11 30 or so we finished at 10 wow yeah so you guys were like almost a whole round off what you guys normally do yeah and i and i was playing the slowest deck of the night i decided to play jeskai dragons last night oh how did that turn out for you i know you were talking about that deck uh previously but uh, um, how did it turn out? I did a lot better with it last night. I went three and one. The oh, my only loss was against oh crap! What did I lose against? Um, oh, a Tarka Red. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that, that that makes sense. I mean, from what you were describing with the deck, it seems like a against a really fast draw from a Tarka Red. That would be something that might be a little hard to beat. But um, but yeah. So I could see that. But I mean. What, how did the matches go against Atarka Red? Was it particularly close, or yeah, no, they weren't close. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just um, even, even when I sideboarded in, it was, it just wasn't close. It's by the time I would get something out, it would just be dead or oh, that's right, my opponent he sideboarded in, crumbled to dust. So really? that that just completely fucked me. Yeah, he went with a completely unconventional sideboard and just messed me up bad. 
because I I wasn't expecting crumble to dust. You know who no. who, who plays who that? <laughs> I mean, I I always liked that card, and I like the idea, but. You know, I always pictured it as as uh, it being a more modern centric card, just because of oh, yeah. like Tron and stuff like that. But I don't think I've ever had that card cast against me in a at a standard F and M yet. No, but my opponent, um, he and I have played quite a few times, like over the years, and he he's he's a pretty good player, but he likes bringing in those unconventional cards. There was um one time I was playing the wall deck back in when M fifteen was around. When Assault oh. Formation came out. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I decided to just bring, I built a wall deck for a joke for one night for FNM because I just didn't feel like playing what my blue-black control at the time. And I go up against this guy that I went up against last night, and he is the only motherfucker to bring in Siege Dragon. <laughs> and I was just like, and I, I just remember, because he sideboarded in, in against me, and I'm just like, he, he cast it, and I had no way to stop. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not even mad. I'm I'm not because how it's... could you be? <laughs> like at that point, like if he if he was good enough to anticipate that there would be somebody playing a wall deck that he brought Siege Dragon in his sideboard. I mean, just just hats off to that. That kudos to that guy. Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> I I had to give him props for it. I'm just like, you know, what? I'm not even mad. It's yeah. you, you win because I had like four or five creatures out at the time, and I'm just like, yeah, there's no way I'm coming back from this. Nope, nope. <laughs> he he won up you. He won up the one up. Yeah, wow. so it, it that that we always bring that up, and that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, as far as everything else going on in Magic, um, trying to think. Oh, I managed to finally get my fourth Snapcaster Mage finally last night. Yay! So, yeah, I managed to get a good deal for it. I got it for the price of free, so I'm always good on that. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Wait a second here. Price of free for a Snapcaster Mage? Well, it, it was awesome. Yeah, it wasn't exactly free. It was, um, there was this guy that I paid for his IQ um, entry, and I took him uh, there, and uh, I bought him lunch and everything, and then I'd always give him shit like, yeah, man, you just need to pay me back. But I, w- I would never be serious. And then he he I saw he had a Snapcaster. I'm like, yo, why don't you give me that Snapcaster and we're good. And he's like, um, okay, just hands it to me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And well, that, I, hey, I wasn't even being serious. Out. Yeah. Wicked. No. no, but um, other than that, it's um, I think I told you I'm buying a house, right? Yeah, yeah, you had mentioned yeah. that. Oh my god, it feels like the process is never have you bought a house before? No, but actually we are just starting to begin that process ourselves. Uh, we just started looking at a couple places and uh and we're gonna start um the whole process here within the next, you know, fifteen to twenty days. So I'll experience what you're experiencing now. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun and um it's just I mean, I haven't even finished the whole loan process yet. I had to give off all this paperwork. But I also had to do a first-time homebuyers program, what, what my lender is um, asking for. My God, let me tell you, that is probably some of the most boring crap you'll ever have to take. So what is it? Just like a – is it like a class or something? Or Yeah, uh... you, you can either go to like a local county class and do it, or you can do it online. I chose to do it online. And, I mean, it's super easy, but it's just mind-numbing. It's I got like you. they ask you stuff like, what is a mortgage? 
what is a loan? And you're just like, <laughs> oh my god. And like, and the only way you could fail it is if you just close your eyes and randomly click. Wow. Yeah. It's, wow. But it takes about eight hours to finish, and it's just it's it's horrible. That it's sounds ter- just yeah. I, I I feel like I would just rot away at my computer having to stare at stuff like that for eight hours. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. But no, I finally finished that, and the only thing left I have to do is just. I don't know. We I just have some contingencies going on with the contract and got to wait for those to be filled out and then then hopefully got to fill out the rest of the loan and hopefully I get approved and that's that and then pay it, more money out the ass. <laughs> it's always something, isn't it? Like you always think you're close to finishing something like this and then something else just kind of pops up. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know. It's depressing. It's, yeah, so um even though this is a little off subject, did you vote in the primaries this week? <laughs> I I didn't. Well, I did and I didn't. I mean, I voted, but um, I'm registered as independent. Oh, so step. so it, it didn't really like like in the big grand scheme of things, my my vote really wasn't all that big of a deal. I like there were some uh, kind of. Like there was a sales tax thing and a couple of other things that I voted on, but as far as the actual presidential primaries, uh, I don't really get a, too much of a say in that. Yeah, that that's right because it's a closed primary, so yeah, you don't, you don't really get to choose who to vote for. I'm um I'm still a registered Democrat, which I never did change that when I was um a kid. So I voted for Bernie, which I don't think he's gonna make it, but well, I mean. Here's how I feel about him. I I really think that even if he doesn't get the nod for the nomination, he'll probably try to still run as an independent. I mean, he he seems like he's pretty gung ho about trying to trying to get in there. So I wouldn't be surprised if he still ran. He just might not be under one of the big the big parties. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's um, it's I don't know. I I don't want to dive into politics because it's all (laughs) it's it's. You it's so podcast about it at this point. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, and I'm nowhere near a, you know, really that deep into politics. But you know, I like to follow what's going on. But my God, this whole election, and you know, I've been following elections personally. When could I first vote? It was my first vote was for the second presidential election for Bush, between right. Bush and Kerry. That was my first time voting. And just following that and then, you know, the Obama, second time Obama, and now following this, it's like this has been such a circus. It It, really has. It's Uh, been insane. No matter who you're for, this has just been an insane election season. It's been – and honestly, it's been so horrible. I mean just like not only is it a circus, but it's like it's not – a lot of times I can watch a political circus and, and come away feeling like, oh, I was entertained by that in some sick way. But when I'm watching this, the whole time I'm just like, I feel awful. This is just – I feel gross watching these people. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter which side I'm watching. It's like I can find something that I just – I just makes me feel gross. I, I – it really like – I, I, I'm just not excited at all for this at all. It's um, if I was a stand-up comedian, this would probably be the best time to have some of the best material right now. Oh, absolutely! I, I would be having a fucking field day at this point. 
Oh, yeah, because both sides are just comedy gold right now. Just like, I think one of my favorite times, just like the past few weeks, was Bernie Sanders telling Hillary, like, excuse me, I'm talking. And just <laughs> shutting her up. That was hilarious. And then all the crap that Trump is saying. Oh, everything. He, he, his life, or his whole presidential campaign at this point is one giant stand-up act. I'm, but he but he's he's so smart about it though. He he he's doing exactly he I mean he knows what he's doing but he's doing Of course it, he does. He is just a complete salesman about it all. It's and it's hilarious like how how far that's getting him cuz I remember thinking cuz one of my um coworkers he's a pretty staunch Republican and yeah. I remember him talk him and I talking back in august september saying like well it's cool that trump is running but you know he's never going to get the nomination it's just he's going to get you know bombed out early on but and and we were just talking about that a few weeks ago like holy crap trump is probably going to win <laughs> it's I, I i never expected this this was insane and honestly i think that is the reaction of the entire republican party including the republican leadership they were like oh, yeah I'm sure at the beginning they were like, okay, we'll let this guy have his fun. There's no way he's going to make it. And all of a sudden he's won, like, what, 20 states, 30 states? And they're like, oh, yeah. crap. Now we're actually going to have to nominate this guy. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, uh, but it's funny. It's um, But, yeah, like I said, I don't want to dive too deep into this. It's just I just find the whole process funny and how and how serious people, so many people take it. Like. Uh-huh. It's um. I've just been doing a little joke on my Facebook, my personal Facebook, of I changed my avatar to Donald Trump and put everything Donald Trump, and I started saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna make today great again. We're just gonna win, <laughs> and I I had some people like really thinking like, oh my gosh, you've gone full Trump. I need to start <laughs> spamming your wall with Bernie Sanders links until you decide not to vote for Trump. Oh and then, my god! And then and then I have some people who, like my wife knows who's been going ranting on about like i'm gonna delete everybody on my list that likes trump you know we're never gonna be friends again i'm just like oh my god you got you got to be kidding me if if it takes you to delete someone and never talk to them again because of who they like in politics there's something wrong with you oh yeah absolutely i mean well i think it's just lately if you really think about it our country has become so much more partisan than it used to be like like republicans on one side with (laughs) with just weapons and Democrats on the other side with weapons. And we're all pointing it at each other in a giant Mexican standoff waiting to see who's going to shoot first. Oh, and yeah. it's like, I can't be friends with you if you're a Democrat. Well, I can't be friends with you if you're a Republican. Well, I guess we're not friends anymore. It's yeah, just, it's I can crap. remember the same crap when, um, it was Bush and Gore. I was oh, yeah. in high school. I can remember the same stuff. Like, Oh, you like Bush Bush is you know, a Nazi or a Hitler or whatever. I'm just yeah. like, like, oh my, it, it, it's just funny how it repeats itself. History will always repeat itself, man. Yeah. It always will. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because it was just a little bit funny. And plus, you know, it's a big topic everybody's going on about. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you've seen some of the Donald Trump magic cards, too, that are going on there. I have, yeah. I can't, like. <sighs> I don't I don't remember what they are off the top of my head, but, yeah, he'd be totally OP. <laughs> It's it's like what build a wall and make someone else pay for it or something. Yeah. Oh, I think oh. that's my favorite thing he's ever said. <laughs> there's just so many good there's if one good thing comes out of Trump, it's that we're going to have so many quotable lines going forward. It's it's just going to it's going to be glorious. 
Oh, I know. It's going to be tremendous. It's <laughs> it's, it's going to be it's going to be great. We're gonna, we are going to make comedy great again. Yeah, but um, now so this week there's been a lot more Shadows of Innistrad spoilers going back to Magic now, and um, there's been a few cards that seem pretty cool, and some that are not so much. I'm just to preface, they've released the rest of the Planeswalker cards, and we'll go over them. Mm-hmm. And I have to say. There's only one Planeswalker card I'm really excited about, and the other three I could not give two craps about. They all seem, while I think they may be good in the game and, and you know, come standard, but I just feel, I guess, ability-wise, they're just not very exciting. You know, honestly, like, and I'm the one who's super gung-ho about this set, but yeah, I'm not super thrilled about these walkers. I'm really not. Um, I think, and honestly, I don't even think all but maybe one or two of them will even see much standard play. Uh, I think, uh, I think they may have gotten ahead of themselves a little bit here by printing four walkers and really not, I don't know if, I don't know what it was that they did, but it just, I'm not, I'm not excited for these planeswalkers like I normally am. Yeah, like. I guess let's dive into the Planeswalkers first. Um, the one I am excited about that seems it'll be good in a beatdown deck is Arlen Cord, the yep. werewolf one. That's exactly the same one. The only one that I'm really excited about. Yeah, so if we go over what Arlen Cord does, her she's actually a flipwalker. The only other flipwalker that we've had, not counting the Origins ones, because they aren't true, well, no, because they start off as creatures, then they flip. Right, the they're, they're not true, like was a planeswalker then flips into a new planeswalker yeah the only other one we've had is that garrick one um garrick relentless from uh from the original innistrad set actually oh was he in... yeah that's right he was an innistrad mm-hmm. i forgot about him was it yeah it was innistrad yep you're right yeah and uh yeah he was he was the first one wasn't he the first yeah, he actual was. flip and he may have been actually, and it's funny that you mentioned that, he may have been actually one of the first flip cards that was even spoiled, if if memory serves correct, from back then. Cause, uh, oh, I don't they, remember back then. <laughs> they wanted to, oh, well, I remember when they first spoiled flip cards, I think it was, a, it was Daybreak Ranger was the first flip card that they spoiled. And I remember everybody saying, oh, this is going to break magic. This is going to break magic. Magic is ruined. And then they spoiled Garrick Relentless shortly after that, and everybody was like, "Okay, well, maybe not. This is interesting. Let's uh, let's take a closer look at this." So, uh, but I do remember distinctly Garrick Relentless because uh, I, I was always a big Garrick fan, and just with the storyline that was happening at the time, it, it was cool to see how they took the storyline and made it so that you saw him get cursed by Liliana and he flipped into something else, and he was green, and then he flips into black after he's been cursed, and. Uh, it was it was just really cool flavor wise, as well as he was actually just a very good card at the same time. Oh yeah, no, I I agree with that. He was a good card, and when it came to flavor, is, that's what made him go crazy during M fifteen, right? Yeah, if you look uh, if you look over the Garricks that were printed before that, you had uh, the M fourteen Garrick was all green, uh, and or not M fourteen, uh, the whatever the M was before the original Innistrad, it was an all green Garrick. Yeah, M13, uh, M13, I think. M13. Right? 
it, no, 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 M M twelve. Okay, it would have been, and then then M thirteen came out after Avacyn restored. Right, right. You're right. Um, but this, but but they had the same Garrick in both M twelve and M thirteen. Yeah, I think it was the same planeswalkers all the way around, right? Yeah. Um, but so you had the all green Garrick in the uh, core set, and then you had uh, Garrick Relentless, who was uh, a green Garrick on one side, and then. In storyline, after he gets cursed by Liliana, he flips to a black planeswalker on the other side. And then, since he's continued to be cursed, we got uh, Garrick Apex Predator at M15, who is a green-black combined planeswalker. So it was just cool to see that this kind of arc of Garrick come to light through a flip walker, which was something we'd never had before, and now we're getting again. Yeah, we need to bring him back. I want to know what happens to him. They I need do to bring... too. I do too. Poor they, they need to bring bring him back somehow because he's actually been one of my favorite planeswalkers. He's um, just story wise, and you know, e- even though he's kind of simple story wise, but it's I- I've always liked him because I've I'm always been such a green player too. Yeah, and, and I mean, he's just always had. Honestly, I think a lot of the Garricks have just been super sweet and. Uh, he's always been involved in some super sweet storylines, and, and I've always been a Liliana fan too. So to see them to interact and their storylines are always woven together, Liliana and Garrick, um, and it's just cool to it's cool to see. So I, I am hopeful that they'll bring him back. Uh, if if I'm trying to remember storyline wise, if he if he walk if he planes walked off Innistrad or if he's still here, because that might mean that we might get a Garrick uh, in the next. Innistrad said, um, "I'm not sure, but if I if memory serves, he was still on Innistrad last we left him. So we may be getting a new Garrick sometime in the near future. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe he's part of the <clears throat> part of the Eldritch Moon or something. He is the Moon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, know. It's I might it's, revolt at that point if Garrick turns into a Moon. I think I'm done. <laughs> uh, well, it's not like it." Even though this is probably sacrilege or something to, I guess, some people in ma- in the magic community, but I've never cared about the story that much. It's always, it's while I like some of the ideas with the story, and and I guess this goes back to me since I've been playing so long. It's I've always really really enjoyed like the Brothers War mm-hmm. back when Urza and his brother and all the the Phyrexian stuff on Dominira, and I understand why they had to expand upon that and make new planes. But to me, that's always been my favorite parts of Magic. And while I like some of these storylines, I just, I feel like I, I can't, I have a hard time reading the actual little story quips that Wizards releases every week because I feel like they're very poorly written. Yeah. I feel, I feel like it's written towards, you know, like young adults and it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, really, that kind of goes back to... uh you know, when they would produce uh, a novel series with each set, basically. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those novels were absolutely hot garbage. I mean, and oh, I think, yeah. And I think Wizards themselves would be the first to admit that a lot of those books were just absolutely horrifically written. Um, but I do remember the, the Brothers War books uh, from way back when. Uh, were excellent, and I still have a couple of them because they were excellent. And and really, I think, you know, storyline-wise, I don't feel like you have to fo- – I think that's what's great about Magic is you really don't need to know the lore. 
you don't need to know the story. It doesn't have to matter for the yeah. game to still be awesome and for you to get just as much enjoyment out of the game as somebody that knows every storyline going all the way back, you know? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. But with – and the other reason I mention it is because Wizards is trying to push towards a more story-centric sets now. Now that they've got rid of core sets, they're trying to focus more on bringing story to the cards. And while I, while I like it, it's also – I hope it just doesn't – I mean – so far, it doesn't seem to be dictating what they should and shouldn't print. And, you know, I just hope it doesn't mean in the long run we get less reprints of needed cards. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I, I think Wizards will... If, if there's a card that is needed from a past set, I feel like they'll find a way to incorporate that in um, to their story arcs. They're pretty good about that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think in a way story arc can kind of limit what you can and can't do it certainly dictates the mechanics that will be in the set oh yeah um you know i i don't think we would have gotten madness back in in Innistrad if Innistrad wasn't a gothic horror themed set and if the story wasn't centric around insanity and stuff like that uh we wouldn't have gotten these mechanics back. So I, I do think that the story arc has an effect on what they print and what mechanics they put into the game. But and and, and I, I echo what you said too. I really hope that they don't make the story so central to what they're doing that it affects the quality of the cards and of the game. Um but I think I feel like they've had a pretty good handle on that so far and I'm hoping they don't they don't make it too too story driven and uh and less game driven yeah no, i know what you mean so to get back to these walkers let's go over arlen cord first which has been the only planeswalker i've liked and so she's a flip walker her her human side is um her plus one until end of turn up to one target creature gets plus two plus two and gains vigilance and haste so she comes on the board you have to pay four mana uh, two colorless, a green and a white, or a green and a red, and her plus one red off the bat. That's not too bad. It's um, you know, especially if you're doing a beat down deck, you may want to have one of your creatures get plus two, plus two, just to beat them down even further. But if I, I may not know the rules on this. Maybe you do. If you do her zero ability. Put a two-two green wolf creature token on the battlefield. You transform her and flip her. Does that mean you get to use her a second time? No. And this no? Was, this okay. was something that I actually had to confirm with a, a judge friend of mine because that was my first initial thought too. Was oh wow, so if I get to flip her, and on the other side, which we'll get to in a minute, she has another ability that lets her flip back. Am I going to just be able to basically go infinite with this with this card and just keep flipping, 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 flipping? Uh, and and no, since technically on the other side of the card it is still Planeswalker Arlen, and it is still the same card. Uh, oh, I see. You can you, you can still only activate the card once. Um, but I I had the exact same thought at one point. I'm like, they literally just let us go infinite with this one card. Uh, this yeah, is... I, I figured that would be it because they wouldn't want to break it. Yeah, like that. I mean, it would just be we're all playing red green four drops, and uh, this card is going to be two thousand dollars. <laughs> Pretty much, you yeah. play it and you win <laughs> the game. But um, but even so, I mean, that plus one ability is uh, I like it. I like this a lot. It makes her actually very relevant in the late game as well. 
Um, oh yeah. Cause if you happen to have, you know, it, a lot of times in red, green beatdown decks, if you get beyond six or seven mana, you're kind of in trouble. But with uh, Arlen Cord, you could go like three drop, drop her plus one, attack with my three drop because now it's a plus two plus two vigilance haste. I mean that's that's pretty nasty. I I mean I can see this being used in, you know, a sort of modified maybe mid range landfall deck because landfall as it is right now is a very fast. It's it's basically the Atarka Red Shell with landfall creatures and i've i've been playing landfall since the beginning of zendikar standard and that deck is explosive if i had th this access to this card right now i'd definitely be doing a two of oh at least and, and um no but like i said i can see this being used in landfall mid-range strategies where you know you have mina and den shit what is it mina oh uh, and den wildborn yeah where you get to play an additional land, you know, that pumps up your landfall creatures. Um, I can see you maybe even using, um, you know, Nissa's Pilgrimage or, or you know, Explosive Vegetation just to get, you know, more power to your creatures. Um, what's that other one that, what, Zendikar Resurgent? Not Resurgent, um, Zendikar Incarnate. Oh, right, 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 yep. The other four drop that's powers based on the number of lands, um, you know, I, I I can just see a lot of uses for this, just for that kind of mid-rangey beatdown strategy, and oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm definitely kind of seeing the exact same style of deck. Um, I could also see it in maybe like a mid-range, uh, like a Jund or even a Naya, like a three-color beatdown type deck. If we get some mana to support three colors going forward. But even if we don't, then I mean, she just she just screams, "I want creatures around me. Put me in a deck with a lot of creatures, and just beat face. I mean, just swing face with me, please. I'm begging you." Yeah. No, and so when we flip her, she's got three abilities on her backside. Well, and first mention, I'm mean, just to mention, uh, her zero ability isn't just transform, but you also get a two tool wolf token. Uh, at the same time so really you could and since it's a zero you can play her do her zero get a two two wolf and flip her over to the other side right away so she protects herself when she flips uh which is pretty important actually oh yeah now i mean that'd probably be maybe one of the things you'd want to do first is do that so you have a token to protect her to flip her over and then when you do flip her over I really like her plus one. Her plus one creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain trample. I can see that being used alongside, you know, especially if you're going beat down strategy alongside with Atarkas Command. Um, you know, just give your creatures more power to be able to beat face. Oh, yeah. And, For sure. And, I mean, if you think about it, we had uh, not too long ago... Um, oh, I can't remember what block it was, but uh, remember Domri Rod... Uh, the the one green red planeswalker I think that was from that was Return to Ravnica Return to Ravnica okay yeah but I mean he had I think his plus was pretty similar where he gave a slight or he, or maybe his minus was a slight power bump uh, plus trample but he saw play all over the place and and I can <laughs> see this seeing the exact same kind of play oh yeah now the the, the plus one is definitely a strategy you'd want to use for going wide and um, 
And of course, you know, I can see why this is the most expensive pre-order card right now because what are the type of decks that are always most popular when rotation happens? Aggro. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I mean that comes straight from the pros' mouth. Uh, they all yeah. they always say. You know, the first couple of weeks after standard, especially after a rotation and a new set, uh, the red decks are just going to be through the roof because everybody just wants to be fast, simple. Uh, don't try to do anything too complicated in the first couple of weeks. And, you know, this this card just screams that. This card screams, you know, we're going to have creatures. We're going to swing. That's what we're going to do. And eventually we're going to win the game because we're just attacking. Yep. And her negative one ability is basically a lightning bolt to a creature or player. The only downside to it is you have to flip Arlen Court back to her human form. Which may not always be a downside, but I guess it depends on where you're at with the with the board state. You may you know, you may want to bolt a creature to the face in the event of all your other creatures are dead or just when you wanna burn a player down. Um Yeah, and, yeah. and really that uh, the fact that we get to bolt something and flip her back, it is kind of, it is a downside because you're not getting the plus one, plus one in trample anymore. Uh, but it could be an upside too, because if you're light on creatures, uh, you could just bolt something, flip her back over. And then on your turn, you just zero her, you get a two, two wolf and you flip her back over again. And then she's ready to rumble again. So, I mean, if, if it can be a little bit strategic to say, okay, I'm running low on creatures. I need more stuff to get able to get through. So I'm just going to bolt you for three, flip over, and then on my next turn, I'm going to get a wolf because this is a zero ability. It doesn't cost me anything to do this. Uh, and then, you know, we're right back to where we started. So it, I, I could see it as both of an advantage and a disadvantage. Oh, yeah. Now, and her final ability, the negative six, which... It it's a really good ability. It's just by if you're able to pull this ability off in a game, I'm surprised you haven't killed your opponent earlier. Oh yeah, um, no. <laughs> no, she's never ultimating. Let's let's be let's make it perfectly yeah. clear right now. Six is not a lot for an ultimate, uh, but if if your opponent is somehow still alive when you get her to six mana, they deserve a medal because she she should be killing them way faster than that. Oh yeah. So her negative sex sex six <laughs> is um you get an emblem with creatures you control have haste and when you tap them this creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. So even then you just play a bunch of little creatures or a any kind of creature just boom. You don't even have to you know go to combat phase and just kill them right away. Yeah, pew pew. I mean that's that's just what I think of when I think of her ultimate pew pew. We're just going to tap and ping. And it's it's just it's nice because it means your creatures don't have to attack uh, for them to be able to deal the same amount of damage to your opponent. Um, so it just takes the guesswork out of it. You know, if you have dudes, they're going to deal their damage. Um, oh, yeah. But like, we well, what's also cool, what I like about it is, you know, you could just bring creatures out for blockers and, you know, you go to the opponent step and they go to attack you just block and oh in response to blocking and attack and do damage to you oh yeah yeah no which i like that too her ultimate i mean let's be clear her ultimate if you do get that emblem i mean it, it feels like a it feels like a an emblem ultimate should i mean you're gonna win if you don't win the game with this ultimate something is very wrong uh um, yeah i just don't feel like we're gonna need that ultimate because she's just a, a, a killing machine on her own uh, without that ultimate, 
which which is a earmark of a good planeswalker. If a planeswalker can take over the game and end it without having to ultimate, that's a planeswalker you want in your deck. Uh, and and that's you know that's why I think I'm excited for her. Maybe as the only planeswalker I'm excited for uh, oh, in yeah. this set. So when we go to the other planeswalkers, um, just to preface a little something, it's. Like, as we said earlier, it's I'm not impressed by these Planeswalkers' abilities. Um, do I want them? Yeah, of course I want them because I try to collect every card. Um, but as far as, I don't know how, the only one that I see being possibly usable as of right now, at least I see, is Nahiri the Harbinger. Mm -hmm. Because, one, she's another four cost. But the one thing that I wanted to bring up was how... Um, uninspiring especially their first two abilities are for all three of them if you if you look at obnixilis reignited from battle for zendikar his plus one and he's the perfect kind of black planeswalker he he, he pretty much exemplifies what black is all about it's about you know doing whatever it takes to get the advantage and his plus one for obnixilis is you draw a card and lose one life his second ability, the negative ability, is destroy target creature. And then his ult is target opponent gets an emblem. Whenever a player draws a card, you lose two life. So I wanted to bring that up because right away when I first saw, I think, what Nahiri was spoiled first. And then it was Soren and Jace or whoever it was. You know, I started to see a little bit of a pattern. The first two abilities are pretty much all the same. But just yeah. they they changed them to whatever their colors are meant to normally do. Yeah, e each of these plus abilities is like that color's flavor of draw. Whatever it is, it's that color's flavor of draw. Um, which is kind of... It's it's like... It's, it's meh. I mean, it's just meh. I mean, drawing cards is always good. You always want to have cards. It, it, as far as a gameplay point goes, there's nothing wrong with drawing cards flavor-wise. Or I guess... Not not even flavor wise, just excitement wise, you know. It's just okay, you know. We've seen this before. Yeah, and and I will say that you know, while drawing cards is always good, I'm not always convinced that drawing cards on a planeswalker is as good as drawing cards uh, in the more conventional sense. Because if if I'm drawing cards off my planeswalker, that means my planeswalker's plus ability does not protect my planeswalker. Um, yep. and that's a, I, you know, honestly, that's the biggest problem I see with all three of these other planeswalkers is that none of their other plus abilities protect the planeswalker in any way, shape or form. Um, the minus ability on Jace and the minus ability on Nahiri do do some protecting for the planeswalker. Uh, and I guess you could argue that Soren doesn't need the protection because he comes down with such a high loyalty count, uh, counters, um, but it still feels it, it feels yucky to me. I want my planeswalkers to be able to protect themselves, and I found that that is usually the mark of a playable planeswalker right off the bat. Is does it protect itself? And these three just don't. They just simply don't. Yeah, and I agree with that. The only time where you know, especially Jace, I can see Jace and Omnixilis being used for control shells if blue-black control becomes something, or even blue-white, or just any if control becomes a thing again, where th those 
especially Jace, wouldn't be bad. But is it is it exciting in a gameplay perspective? No. No, it, it, it really isn't. Mm-hmm. And and that's what kind of got me down about it because, you know, like I said before, I'm not too big on the flavor aspect of usually magic, but the excitement factor just isn't there with these planeswalkers. You know, just to go over Jace's abilities real quick, his plus one, you scry one, then draw a card. His negative two, return target creature to its owner's hand, which is a very common blue ability. And his ultimate negative eight, you get an emblem with whenever opponent casts his or her first spell each turn, counter that spell, which that's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're doing a control shell. But like I said, if that's the only ability that seems exciting to me as a planeswalker, eh. Well, well not you know. only that. I mean, not only not only that, but if, if the best ability on the planeswalker, the one that is going to to be the defining aspect of the planeswalker is the ultimate typically that walker just doesn't ever really take off and i'm nervous especially about jace because you know if we think about jace's through magic history we've never really been that successful with five mana jaces um jace memory adept is the one that comes to mind that was a five mana jace and he was just he was just awful uh, he saw hey Hey, 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 he wasn't that bad. He was good in my casual mill deck, all right? <laughs> well, there you go. If you were playing a mill deck, you you would want four of those guys. Oh, yeah. No, no, but no, I agree. In standard, why would you use him? Yeah. Especially at the time when when he was released again in M14, you had Jace Architect of Thought, which was way better Inf- than Memory of Death. Infinitely. And I still remember that a lot of con- uh, players during that time would still put at least one Jace Memory Adept in their sideboard because he was a mirror breaker for the blue-white control mirrors. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's where this Jace will come into play too, but we have a two-mana Jace right now. Uh, a two-mana Jace that is not rotating. So I just I can't see a five mana Jace seeing any more play than than Jace Friends Prodigy is going to be seeing, especially when our two mana Jace also fuels two of the mechanics uh, in this set by making us discard. You know, we got Madness and Delirium, and Jace Friends Prodigy is just so good with those abilities. I just don't see Jace Unraveler of Secrets, uh, which is the new Jace. Uh, I don't see him making any kind of impact at all. Yeah, at least not right away. Because, like I said, unless control becomes a thing, I can't see him being very useful. Even if control does become a thing, I'd, I think I'd rather be doing other stuff than worrying about a five mana cost Jace. I think by the time I have five mana, I want to be doing something else or waiting for my opponent to be able to do something so I can either counter it or do something. Yeah, there's going to be you a know? lot better things doing with five mana in this set. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we'll get to talk about a couple of them tonight, especially the card that I am now in love with. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's going to be... I mean, I'm already building control decks just because that's what I'm the most excited to play when this set comes out. And I will say none of them have a single copy of Jace Unraveler of Secrets in them. Um, yeah. and many of them have four copies of Jace Verdon's Prodigy in them. So I, I just, of course, I just don't see, I just don't see it happening un- unless, unless something happens to Jace Verdon's Prodigy, heaven forbid, knock on wood. Um, I don't see Unraveler of Secrets really making any kind of impact at, in, unless he's like a, like 
memory adept was like a one of in the sideboard for a mirror break you know that's that's the only thing i could see him doing at this point even for a mirror break i can't see unraveler of secrets doing much for you no i mean he's going to get you card advantage which in a mirror in a control mirror especially the guy with the most card advantage typically will win the game so i could see i could see that you know, I wouldn't mind having a one of in my sideboard to say, okay, I'm playing against you know the the blue X control mirror. Uh, I'll bring in my one Jace uh, Unraveler of Secrets just so that I can have one additional way to get card advantage over my opponent. Um, but the minus two is not going to be relevant at all in a control mirror. Uh, and if you actually get to minus eight him, I mean that's pretty good in a control mirror, but. Uh, I'd be shocked and surprised and confused if you were able to get to a minus eight on this guy. Yeah, I would be too. So what I find funny, I just thought of this now, is flavor-wise that Jace Vryn's Prodigy, that's when Jace was just becoming a Planeswalker. And his flip side, his Planeswalker ability, is probably the best Jace that we have, you know, Mind Sculptor's banned right now in Modern. And is he banned in Legacy? Uh, well, no, he's not, not, no, he's not. Not in Legacy no. and not in Vintage. He is still legal in yeah. both of those. But I guess what I find funny is the baby Jace is way better than this newest Jace, which I guess be in the latest, I guess be the latest Jace in the timeline, is just very boring. So what happened to his powers? Why is he getting boring? <laughs> And I, I think it's just the fact that every planeswalker kind of goes through a roller coaster of being yeah. super powerful, and then all of a sudden we get a crappy one. The only exception to that rule being Chandra, which is like we get six crappy ones in a row, and then we get one that's overpowered as hell, uh, and then we'll go back to getting six crappy Chandras in a row. Oh yeah, no, I I know I know um gameplay wise they can't make them you know continuously more and more powerful, but. I just found that a little bit funny that Baby Jace is far more powerful gameplay-wise than the newest Jace. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think a lot of the Jaces are, which is, which is why I guess this is a little bit discouraging, too, because we've just had such good Jaces uh, over the past couple sets that it's kind of hard to realize, oh, well, we're in Jace's time to have a have a crummy Jace. Well, uh, okay. Yeah, I feel like this Jace is going to go into the vault, uh, the same vault that the Living Guild pack is living in, where he really won't see much play Poor at all. Living Guild pack. Ugh, poor guy. I was so excited to like pull him on one of the first um, M15 drafts I did when M15 first came out. Yeah. And, yeah, and then just realized, oh, I'm never going to use you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll go in an EDH deck, I'm sure, sometime, somewhere. Just sit sit in this binder for a while, buddy. Uh, no, not even that. I, I'd rather <laughs> put Architect of Thought or Memory Adept. Oh, no. <laughs> poor yeah. Legal Pact. I know, poor guy. But, um, yeah, so now let's go over to Nahiri, the Harbinger. Nahiri was first in, what, Commander... 14, yeah, I think it, was. it was the commander set where we got the monocolored planeswalkers uh, as the commanders. Um, that's where we first saw Nahiri, but going back a little bit further, uh, Nahiri was alluded to back in original Zendikar. Uh, she was the lithomancer uh, that worked with Soren um, and uh, 
oh, who was it? It was Soren the Lithomancer, and I can't remember who the third one was, but they were the ones who originally sealed away the Eldrazi. Um, so she's been around. She was a pre-mending planeswalker. She's been around for a long time. We didn't know her name uh, until that that commander set came out and found out her, her name was uh, Nahiri. Um, but this is her basically coming back in full force. Uh, this is Nahiri, and she's pissed at Soren for some reason. Yeah, it's that's what I got from seeing some of the art that she just completely screws shit up for Soren, which I it's pretty good. It's pretty cool art. Like I I like the one where well she's right outside his mansion and she's just about to either walk in or it's blowing up or something. Yeah, she's doing the uh, well. It's actually the art that's on her card, and the the enlarged art is really cool too. They they released the full enlarged art for it. But she's basically the doing the cool guys don't look at explosions as she walks away from <laughs> from Markov Manor uh, that she's just completely destroyed. But um, the art is beautiful, and I would really love to have a foil of her. Not because I'm going to be playing her a lot, but because I'm sure that art is going to be absolutely gorgeous in foil. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so when we look at her plus ability, as we were saying, it's very similar to Jace. Her it's you may her plus two ability. You may discard a guard. You may discard a card if you do draw a card, which is extremely similar to Jace's plus one ability. While discarding is just a red ability, you know, right there to draw. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I I'm gonna make the argument that Nahiri is a little bit better than Jace, and I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Nahiri saw a little bit of niche play, um, just because of that plus ability while it doesn't protect her uh the fact that it's a plus two is very nice which it, it means that she starts at six loyalty basically uh and that's hard to kill a six a six loyalty planeswalker right away so she she gives herself a little bit of protection by starting at such a high loyalty um and the fact that she is fueling your graveyard at the same time means that if we get any kind of reanimation uh, type strategy going forward, which I haven't seen any reanimation cards really uh, in the set so far, but if we get some reanimation cards in the next set um, or in some reanimator type strategies uh, in eternal formats, you might see her take some play because uh, the fact that she fuels your graveyard and draws you a card is not so bad. Oh yeah, no, she's definitely a madness enabler and I'm just looking over the spoils of what we got now. I don't see, right off the bat, really any decent red... Oh, wait, no, there's Fiery Temper. That's basically our one-mana bolt. Yeah, Fiery Temper. Right fiery Temper's going to be a good one. Um, I don't... Yeah, like, I, I, since we haven't seen the whole set yet, I'm still haven't seen the whole set. Look, um, I'm not sure how... Like, I, I'm not even sure if Madness is going to be, like, a super competitive playable strategy but but if it is she could definitely be a, a pretty sweet little madness enabler oh yeah and i'm looking at white now and i don't see any madness in white no which i guess is not typically a white ability no madness is going to be a, a much bigger red and black mechanic and yeah. and delirium is a lot more focused in white um so and and she does feel that as well she can feel delirium um, so if Delirium or Madness become real decks, um, I could see Nahiri getting some play for that. 
But I really, oh, yeah. I really do see her getting play just for that minus two. Um, exile target enchantment uh, tapped artifact or tapped creature. Uh, she's basically a a, ven- a vengeance spell. You know, if you get hit by something big, you drop her and you just say kill it, no matter what, just kill it, make it die. Um, so I, I I could see her getting some play for that as well because that is a super powerful ability. Uh, but that does leave her very exposed. She'll be down to two loyalty at that point. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of a, a double. She just feels like all in all a double edged sword. Yeah, it. I I agree with that. And um, what what she seems to be almost good for is just from what I can just surmise is she could be good with tribal like red white you know, human tribal or, you know, especially equipment as well. Cause her, her ultimate ability, if you manage to get to her ultimate is negative eight, search your library for an artifact or creature card, put it on the battlefield and shuffle your library. It gains haste and then return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. While it's not, it's not anything like an emblem or anything, but it's definitely a way to just try to end the game if you find something big enough. Yeah, it's kind of like a... Uh, it, it reminds me a lot, actually, of the, the dash mechanic from Cons. You, you yep. basically get to go through your deck, find the one thing you want to have dash for a turn. You get to use it for free. You, get, you don't have to pay anything to dash this, whatever your biggest, fattest thing is out there. And then you it, it bounces back up to your hand, so then... You do get to cast it next turn if you have the mana for it. Um, so, you know, and I don't know if how good she'll be. You know, like, as far as her ultimate goes, obviously it's super powerful, and I can think of a million broken things you can do with that ultimate, but getting to it is going to be the problem. Uh, and the fact that she pluses two makes it a little bit easier to hit eight. Uh, but I played a crap ton of Narset, transcendent when she came out and even she was hard to hit ultimate and she came down with a crap ton of loyalty and still plus two oh yeah and it was still hard to hit that ultimate so i i I can't imagine nahiri being able to ultimate all that often and you can't build a deck like i've had some friends be like oh well she just immediately goes into like the modern through the breach decks and i'm like well no because you can't count on ever hitting that ultimate so it's just it's hard. You you want I want her to be so good because that ultimate is so powerful, but you can't judge a planeswalker card by its ultimate because it's so rare that that's ever going to happen. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, <clears throat> it's I don't know because I'm having a hard time trying to figure out where she may fit. Like I was saying, maybe human tribal. Where in sort of like human, you know, like a Boros aggro type thing. Yeah. Um, where where I kind of see her fitting, if if the trend of the past couple of uh, weeks kind of continues, um, you know, we've been seeing a lot of the uh, that Mardu Green deck. Um, I could kind of sitting see her fitting into like a Mardu Control deck. There seems to be a lot of elements in this set. And we're keeping a lot of elements uh, from the previous set that uh, red, white, black could be a decent control, mid-range control kind of strategy with Goblin Dark Dwellers, 
um, and the new uh, the new removal spell, which I'm sure we'll get to later tonight. Um, I could see her being in that kind of shell just because she does kill something when she comes down or can kill something. So she kind of fits into that strategy a little bit. Yeah. But I, I think it's going to depend on how how much we actually do lose from that style of strategy and, and if if this set can, can, can even support three colors, um, if she could fit into something like that. Yeah, I feel like with this coming standard, three colors might be a little bit harder at first. If Depending on the type of lands that we get as far as rare lands, and it's not that it's not possible for three colors to be a thing. It just seems... Without fetch lands, it's going to be a lot harder. We're going it to. It won't be... be a free roll anymore. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, fetch lands gave us the opportunity to make three lands so so easy that it felt free, uh, and even make four colors seem really 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 easy. So oh, yeah. so losing the fetch lands is going to be a huge blow for that. But three color, it, it feels like three color always finds its way to slip through the cracks. Somebody always finds a way to make a three-color deck, so I wouldn't be surprised if three-color is still around. Uh, but I, you know, four-color definitely won't be a thing anymore, and, and it'll be much harder and much more painful to do three colors. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the only thing we have is what evolving wilds, and isn't there, isn't there another one that can search? Yeah, for... there's actually one that was just spoiled. I'm gonna try to find it. It's it's like a it's a terrible evolving wilds is what it is because I think you have to pay, you have to pay two oh, yeah, mana it... tap and sack yep. to go get some to go get a basic land to put it on the battlefield tapped. So it's like a it's an evolving wilds that I have to pay two additional mana to use. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it's warped landscape. That's the one, and I would um. I would use that in draft, but I don't see myself ever using that in, in um, constructed. No, not at all. Not at all. If I'm that desperate, I'm going to just use something like an Evolving Wilds, or, or I'm just going to say I don't need fetch lands. Because <laughs> that's yeah. just, like, at that point, you're not even going up a land. You're spending, in a sense, three mana to get one additional mana on the next turn. Uh, that just sounds terrible. Yeah. So if you're if you were you're talking about like a Mardu control type thing, if Mardu control becomes a thing, I think I would honestly rather have Soren Grim Nemesis as a planeswalker compared to Nahiri, even though Soren is a lot more expensive. It's um I just like the fact of his plus one. Once again, it's a draw card ability. You reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand, and each opponent loses life equal to its converted mana cost. Yeah, I mean, Soren is actually going to... I think that they were so close to making Soren super exciting. Um, but what immediately turns me off to Soren isn't his abilities, because I actually really like all of his abilities. Uh, it's the it's that converted mana cost in the top right corner, man. Four white, black, six mana, a six mana Planeswalker. I mean, Chandra yeah. Chandra is a six-mana Planeswalker, but Chandra is a six-mana Planeswalker that is monocolored and immediately takes over the game and says, I pretty much win as soon as she hits the battlefield. Soren doesn't do that. Oh, yeah. So that no, so Soren is... Can, the only thing he can do as soon as he gets in is kill at least one creature or Planeswalker. Well, 
Maybe. I mean, if if that. I mean, and you may have to kill Soren to do that, which is which yeah. is a huge downside. To play like a six mana Doomblade. I mean, that's just no, no. Yeah. No, I I agree with you there. It's if I had a choice, I'd rather do Chandra just to wipe the whole board. Absolutely. And and I guess we should go over the rest of his abilities uh real quick just so that everybody understands what we're talking about. Yeah, his negative his second ability is negative x, x meaning it it'll equal any number up to his however many loyalty points he has. And so Soren Grim Nemesis deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker and you gain X life. So that right there, like I said, you said it's a very expensive Doom Blade, which I agree it is. But in the event of your opponent is playing nothing but big fatties, it's and you're playing some sort of control, it's kind of the perfect answer to be able to try to kill that creature. Yeah, and, and the the advantage that it has is that it can kill pretty much anything it wants to. Uh, and it can hit other planeswalkers, which is cool. I mean, that's that's a really cool thing. Uh, if I need to, you know, pay, I'm I'm not above paying six mana to kill my opponent's um, Jace or or Nahiri. You know, I, I don't have a problem with doing that. Um, the minus X ability is is pretty good. It's not a bad ability. It becomes a bad ability when I'm paying six mana to deal. Like, if I have to minus him all the way right away, I'm paying basically six mana to deal six damage to something. Uh, and I haven't really progressed the board state very much. Um, which, as a control player, just does not sound very enticing to me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but it's not a bad ability. And like I said, I I actually really do like all of his abilities. If he wasn't six mana, if he was five mana, I would be all over this card. But... Uh, but six mana is just, I think, one too many, and it's a double, and it's a gold card. It's it's white black. It's not like he's an all black sword that is easily splashable into a deck or an all white sword. Excuse me. Um, he's not. He, he's going to be limited uh, to decks that play white and black, which we don't really know what mana bases are going to look like going forward. That may be unplayable. Well, if like I've said before, if control becomes a thing, and if white-black control ever becomes a thing, or maybe white-black-blue becomes a thing, he may be a type of sideboard card. I don't see him being playable not for at least a few months after standard um, sort of settles on a meta. Right. Because things are going to be wild and crazy the first few weeks and months. And fast. It's going to be wild and crazy oh, yeah. and fast. And six mana for a Planeswalker uh, is just going to be too much. Um, yeah, I do like his ultimate though. His that ultimate is spicy, spicy. I think it's hilarious. Oh, it's um perfect for EDH. Oh yeah, it's going to be disgusting for EDH. <laughs> if you want to go yeah, over, yeah, sure. It. So it's a minus nine, and minus nine, you put a number of one one black vampire knight creature tokens with lifelink onto the battlefield, equal to the highest life total among all players. Um. So if you think about ways that this could get crazy in an EDH game, let's say the highest life total amongst all players is 39 life. Well, now you have 39 1-1 vampire tokens with lifelink. Enjoy. Uh, you know where I see this card being good? Just in my personal EDH decks, my Aloro. Oh. <laughs> 
because I basically play Pillow Fort Aloro with a shit ton of counters and kill spells. Oh, so, oh my god, that's hilarious! I love it. So yeah, he would um he'd probably replace my Narset um, Planeswalker because I run Narset in there. Yeah, and I, I would say that's just a straight up one for one right there. Just trade that out for Soren because that's going to be hilarious. Oh yeah, and it, it would just be nasty. <laughs> no, but as far as um standard playable, the high mana cost plus what he comes out with what six loyalty? Yeah, so if yeah, you plus one right away, he can essentially come out with seven. But honestly, I think with Sword more so than with Nahiri or with uh with Jace. You know, he's going to be coming down and minusing right away because you're going to want to kill something and gain some life if you're waiting till turn six to play this guy. Yeah, it's while I like his abilities as far as the card goes, I feel like he's just never going to maybe see as much play as the other Soren. Soren, what, Solemn Visitor yeah. from Khans. He's... um. It, but like I said, it's really hard to tell right now and judge based on what standard may or may not look like. But as I was saying before, before we started getting into all this, it's what makes me not so excited about these three Planeswalkers is all, their first two abilities are all the same. Yeah. Just they're different colored, you know, whatever their colors are, they're more geared towards that. And it always almost makes me a little bit worried that is this going to be sort of the standard for Planeswalkers as we go forward? Because it's, when you look at, let's just say corsets, for instance, like M15, it felt like all, how many Planeswalkers, was there one for each color? In M15? In M- uh... Yeah, I think there was, yeah. Because there was Liliana, Jace, Chandra, Ajani, and Garrick in M15. Yeah. yeah. And, and they all felt very varied. They all felt different. They didn't, I mean, while some of them may not have been as good or be, that's besides the point, they all felt they were, they all felt like they fit their character. These three just feel like, you know, oh, we draw a card or we kill something. Yeah, this is the first time I think we've ever seen Planeswalkers have a common theme uh, where our plus ability is going to draw you a card in some way, our minus ability is going to remove something from the board. Um, I don't... I hope I'm with you on this. I really hope that this is not the norm going forward. And honestly, I don't think it is. I think they were just maybe trying something here, experimenting with something. Uh, and that could even be the reason why we got four Planeswalkers, because I don't... It, the first, the last time we got like four planeswalkers outside of a core set in one set, I don't really remember when the last time that was. Um, I guess origins, but origins, those were creatures and planeswalkers, so I don't really count those. But well, origins is still considered a core set. So. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't recall the last time we got four planeswalkers in a set like this. So maybe they're just trying something. Um, but I hope that's not the norm going forward because I'm with you. I, I don't really like it. I don't I don't like the fact that these guys basically do the same thing. Yeah, it just feels like Wizards was just have had a checklist of, oh, we need to make sure we have this amount of Planeswalkers to fit the story and uh, we're just going to have them all do the same abilities. It just, 
it feels uninspired. Yeah, it feels a little lazy. A little lazy. Yeah. And, I mean, it it, it almost goes both ways. Can you really blame Wizards? I mean, think about the amount of cards that they not only have, but there's so many functional reprints. There's so many... It's amazing that this card game has come this far, this many years, and it's every set feels new. But it it's almost makes you a little worry. Like, are they starting to run out of ideas? Well, while we may be making a big thing out of nothing, but it just I just hope this is just you know, like you're saying, maybe this is just a little, you know, a little test, or 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 maybe they just didn't have enough time or something. I don't know. Yeah, I I honestly don't think that they're running out of ideas or anything like that. I think that they may have been trying something or. There's some kind of maybe story reason that they haven't revealed yet as to why these three planeswalkers are so similar. Um, that that is something that I could see them doing too if there's some kind of story arc reason that we've got this going on. Um, they were dead the whole time, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I can't see them going forward doing this all the time because this is something they've never done before. Um, and, and, you know, if, if I think we may be making a little bit of something out of nothing, but it's still here and it's worth mentioning that these walkers are so similar to each other. Yeah. I just hope it's a one-time thing and not something we see in the future. If, um, going forward with the, I guess a little bit of is wizards running out of ideas, I'm. Now that we've seen more cards, and not that this is them running out of ideas, I just feel like this next mechanic, I, st- I mentioned it in the first first time we talked, I just feel it's so uninspiring, is the investigate mechanic. I'm very confused it, about this investigate mechanic, too. Um, go ahead and say what you were going to say, though. Well, I guess what I feel about it, it just feels, in, in a gameplay point, like I said, when you're trying to develop a game, you want to make things exciting for your player. You want to make you want to make mechanics, whether it be a card game, a board game, or video game. You want to make things exciting for it. Investigate as a mechanic just doesn't feel fun. It's you're playing a card game to kill your opponent, but in the grand scheme of things, you're investigating your. And I understand the whole set is a story-wise is, you know, you're trying to find out what the hell's going on in, in a strad, you know, and I get that it fits flavor-wise, but gameplay-wise, it just feels boring. So I'm going to pay two mana or do some sort of ability to get a clue artifact out, and oh, I can set, what what is it, you pay two to sacrifice it? or Yeah, pay two, sacrifice it, and that lets you draw a card. And, and that just doesn't feel fun yeah and and honestly i was confused really confused at first as to as to why this was a thing uh to begin with i mean i get the the story implication of it you know jace is following the clues blah 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 you follow the clues and that lets you draw cards and dig deeper into your deck um but it wasn't until this like kind of last round of spoilers that we started started to see a couple of cards that actually care about these clue tokens um, and give us some incentive to investigate. Uh, 
but I agree with you on a whole on on just like from the outside looking in. If you told me, well, there's this mechanic in this game that lets you do a thing where you put a thing uh, onto the battlefield and and then you get to, you know, later you can you can sacrifice that thing and and you get to draw a card. I'm like, well, that just seems like a whole lot of work for not much reward there. Uh, and and that was my initial reaction with with investigate was this seems like a lot of effort for not a whole lot reward. Yeah, if if investigate becomes a sort of deck in standard, I can only right now I can only picture it being useful in a control shell. Yeah. Um, now we have had a couple of cards spoiled that care about uh, the clues. And and oh, which ones are those? I'm trying to find uh, them. Well, I know one of them's green, but the blue one. Let me scroll back up to it real quick. Blah blah blah. blah. He's a flippy guy. Let me get back up to the top. Oh, there we go. The uh, daring sleuth. Uh, so daring sleuth is one in a blue for a two-one human rogue, uh, and it says when you sacrifice a clue, transform daring sleuth. And he transforms into Bearer of Overwhelming Truths, which is a 3-2 with prowess uh, that whenever a Bearer of Overwhelming Truths deals combat to, to uh, damage to a player, investigate, which is you put the clue token onto the battlefield. So this guy gets a little bit beefier, and he gets prowess uh, if you sacrifice a clue token to transform him. Um, and that was the first one that I saw that actually cared, are you doing investigating? Oh, you are? Okay, well, here's a payoff for that, besides just drawing a card. Yeah, and I can see that. It's um, right away I'm trying to think of where he might fit in a constructed deck, just off the top of my head. And it just seems, right off the bat, too expensive to even do that. Because, say, you know, you drop him turn two, turn three, you play a clue, or you get something that gives you a clue. And then turn four, you sacrifice it, he flips. It just seems like you should be doing better stuff by then. Yeah, and I mean, I can maybe see him, uh, if the blue-red prowess deck is still a thing come new standard, um, just because we're going to be losing uh, some major players in that deck with Monastery Swift Spear going away um, and a couple of uh, a couple of the other key cards in that in that deck are kind of fading out or will be uh, transitioning out. So I could see him maybe in that deck because a lot of the things that are going to be giving you clue tokens are things that are going to trigger prowess on your guys anyway. Um, so if that deck is still a thing, which it really wasn't even that big of a thing to begin with, but if it still remains a thing, uh, I could see him maybe slotting in as a couple copies in that deck. Uh, I I still find it kind of hard because... Just how much it takes for him to yeah, flip. it's a lot. I mean, it's and, not it's not a free it's not a free roll like a lot of the the werewolves are, which is just they just ask if any spells were cast. So I mean, he's he's definitely yeah. it's not a free roll, uh, and and I don't know if that's gonna like I don't know if he's gonna see a lot of play, uh, and I don't think the green one that cares about clues is is gonna see a lot of play either, um, but. It, it was interesting for me to see, oh, okay, there might be a little bit more to this mechanic than just sack some things, draw cards. Like, there might be some actual purpose 
some cards going forward may actually care about these clue tokens besides just, okay, this is something that's going to draw you a card later. And while while we still don't know all the cards, if there's some sort of, like you're saying, if blue-red prowess is still a thing, if there's some sort of cheap cantrip card that's blue or red that gives you a clue as soon as you play it, like there's the Jace's Scrutiny, which gives you a clue. It get, It's a one colorless, one blue. Target creature gets negative four, negative zero until end of turn and you investigate. While that's not exactly a kind of card I'd want to put in Blue-Red Prowess, exactly, because there's better things you could be doing than giving one of your opponent's creatures negative 4, negative 0. It's, if there's something that's similar or cheap enough as a cantrip to be able to give you clues, then it might become a thing. Yeah, and, and like I said, it, it's strictly because we don't know what the format is going to look like going forward and what decks are actually going to survive. Um, I really don't know if the, if if you know that guy's going to see any play at all whatsoever. Um, but if he does see any play, that would be where I would put him, just kind of off the top of my head. Yeah, I can definitely see him being useful in limited. Oh, for I would sure. definitely pick. Yeah. I w- he would definitely probably be like a pick two, pick three, so far. If I really wanted to. You know, if blue was open and I really wanted to try to do like a investigate draft deck. And honestly, like as speaking as a guy who who does a player who does a lot of drafting like that, that really is the format that I play more than any constructed format. I draft so much. I really do think investigate was a mechanic that was designed for the draft experience. Like this is going to be a way to kind of level the playing field when it comes to uh, card advantage and limited. Um, yeah. And, and I think that was the full intention of investigate was that, you know, this is not going to be a real constructed, powerful mechanic, but there's always got to be that one mechanic. That's pretty good to super good and limited and just kind of meh to completely unplayable and constructed. And I think that's where investigate is going to fall. It's gonna be pretty. It's gonna be pretty damn good and limited, I think. But it's gonna be. Uh, I don't think it's gonna see much. Const- We're not gonna see much constructed um, investigating. I don't think. Yeah. Well, like you said, we still don't know, and who knows? Some crackpot is gonna make some awesome investigate deck that we just don't know anything about. There's and- always the one, isn't there? There's always <laughs> the one. And it's going to overtake Pro Tour, and all the cheap Investigate cards are going to shoot up 200%. Oh, like, like fucking Rally did? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, don't get me wrong. I played the crap out of that deck, and I really enjoyed that deck just because I, I love the whole sacrificing things to get ahead and, buy, and doing it with crappy piles of draft cards. Um, but the fact that some of those cards went up like a solid 4 or $5 just from being like 50 cents to like $5, like that's disgusting. Yeah, it frustrates me too. <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't even want to get into that. That's just, yeah, we'll, we'll, I could ramble on that for hours. Well, the, the other, uh, the card that I mentioned a little bit earlier was the, the green card that cares about clues. I don't know if you've seen this card or not yet. Which one's it's that? It's the Briar Bridge Patrol. Uh, 
Briar Bridge. Which oh, is here we three go. Three and okay. a green for a three-three. That whenever Briar Bridge Patrol deals damage to one or more creatures, investigate. Uh, and at the beginning of each instep, if you sacrificed three or more clues this turn, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Um, so she, this this card interests me a little bit because it's this card feels like an investment. This is a. Uh, you know, the first few turns, you're not really going to be attacking with this card so much as blocking uh, to get damage dealt to creatures so that you can get clues tokens. And then all of a sudden, one turn, you're going to be like, oh, here, sacrifice all my clues, and I drew three cards, and here's the biggest thing that I drew. Um, that could be interesting, especially in Limited. I could see this card actually getting some, making some powerful plays. Um, but constructed kind of similarly to the blue guy i just don't i i don't see it i don't really see it yeah now i can i can already see in draft if you get a pick one timeo's journal and then i'm gonna immediately want to try to find briar bridge control right oh yeah away. totally uh, if if that if that's the way your draft starts going and you just have all these ways to produce clue tokens uh this is the card that's going to pay you to offer that and limit it because um, you're going to draw at least three cards on the turn that you're putting the biggest thing from your hand onto the battlefield. Um, so it's going to be... Uh, I could see it being a limited all-star if um, if uh, if it comes down to that, but I don't see constructed playability written on the Briar Bridge Patrol. Yeah, I guess some of the um, other cards... I mean, I don't think we have time to go over every single new card that came out, but... <clears throat> the um other card that I kind of liked was um uh, where is it? It it's pretty interesting though pretty expensive too is Descend Upon the Sinful. Ah yeah, our new our new big white sweeper. Oh yeah. This um this one's not only gonna be constructed play in standard playable for control if it becomes a thing. It's also going to be probably could be an EDH staple as well, just for its um, exile effect. Yeah, so for four and white, white, it's a sorcery that says exile all creatures. And delirium, put a four, four white angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. Uh, this is instantly going into every white EDH deck I have, just instantly. Oh, yeah. It's definitely going to my Oloro deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and and you're right. I could see it maybe seeing some constructed playability. Six mana sweepers, kind of like six mana planeswalkers, are very uh, iffy. Um, if the format slows down to the point where you can, you know, successfully get to six mana and not be dead, um, then this card is is very, very good because if you can get to six mana, you're most likely going to have Delirium at that point if you're a control deck. Um, so I could see you being able to get the basically exile everything plus I get a 4-4 Angel. Uh, that's pretty, that's pretty game-breaking. I mean, even if you don't get a 4-4 Angel, the fact you can just wipe the board and not even just put them in the graveyard but you exile everything and that just makes it all the more worthwhile yeah and that's going to be very very relevant i think exile is really going to be at a premium going forward here because so much of innistrad is reliant upon the graveyard um that exiling is going to be 
pretty huge. That that's going to have a, a major effect on what we play as control players going forward. If it exiles, the value goes up. Yep, and we need Tormod's crit. Yes, back. we do. Right now, please. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly. Instantly. Yeah. That that um that was last printed what M15 I think. I believe so. Yeah. It was the last core set for uh Origins, so that would have been M15. Yeah. So uh and it's considered a Dominaria card. Damn it. <laughs> Motherfucker. Well, call it Innistrad's Crypt. I don't give a shit. Just, just give us, give just give us Grafdigger's Cage back. That was printed in Dark Ascension. So just give us a reprint of Dark of uh, of Grafdigger's Cage, and we're good to go. Yeah. Grafdigger's Cage. I'm just trying uh, to remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Can't cast cards in graveyards or Or libraries. target them, for that matter. They just can't. You just can't do anything with them. Or uh, maybe not target them. I can't remember. But either way, you can't do anything with the stuff that's in your graveyard. Ooh, wouldn't that shut down Collected Company? Uh, can't enter the battlefield from graveyards yeah, or libraries. Yeah, it would shut yep. it down. Yeah, we need it. <laughs> I'm gonna go tell Wizards like, hey, print this that's now. That's why it still sees a lot of modern play, dude. I mean, that's a that's a sick sick card in modern sideboards. Yeah, I need to get that for my Grixis Delver, definitely. It's a two of in mine. Yeah. Um, let me see what other what were some other well, cards. I, I need to, to at least about. mention the card that I am completely in love with right now. Sure. Uh, which is Epiphany at the Drown Yard. Um, X and a blue for an instant. Reveal the top X plus one cards of your library and separate them into two piles. An opponent chooses one of those piles. Put that pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Um, so basically, we're getting a spin on Factor Fiction. Uh, yep. And it, not only that, but it's a spin on Factor Fiction that's going to be fueling our graveyards. Uh, and and I'm just I I just nerdgasmed about this card. I think this I, I think this card is going to be busted as hell. <laughs> it's. It's interesting because the last time we had a card like this, it was back in Theros Steam mm -hmm, Augury, mm -hmm. which was um, something very similar. Revealed the top five cards and split them up into two piles. But that card never saw much play. Right. And... The difference that I see here is the fact that this is just X and a blue, um, where Steam Augury was too blue red, so you know you had to be playing blue red for that card to be. You had to be playing Is It yep. for that card to be any good. Um, you know, this is just going to go into to every blue control deck. Uh, and since you can do variations on this, but I think the real secret to this is the fact that it's X plus one card, so you can actually do this. Uh, I was listening to uh, to Patrick Chapin and Michael J. Flores talk about this card. You can do this for X equals zero and just mill yourself for one. Like if you're if you're one card type off of Delirium, you can just say, I'm just going to pay one blue to put the top card in my library in my graveyard. Oh, I suddenly have Delirium. Or you can do this where X equals one, but you're flipping two cards, so you're going to be drawing at least one card. Uh, and the fact that it's an instant means you can be doing this on your opponent's instep, Basically, I think this is just Wizard's way of saying, hey, dig through time's going bye-bye. 
uh, but you get this instead, and look, this is just as sweet. So uh, I'm I'm excited for this card. I, I I as a control player, it just it just tickles me tickles me pink. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's um, it it definitely does bring back the fact and fiction aspect of it. And you're right about if you just play it for zero, just basically you know activate delirium or heck even playing it for one you get to draw a card which makes it you know really cheap it's definitely something that i would main board in a control yeah deck. yeah it's um i don't know if i would do a full play set maybe two to three yeah i don't know if it's going to be a full of four of or not uh I, it really again just kind of depends on what things look like um because we do still have anticipate which is a pretty decent cantrippy type card um for two mana uh so that's that's one thing that it'll have to contend with uh but the fact yep. that this thing just gets as big as your mana pool is in the late game means i'm gonna want at least three possibly four of this card yeah no i i can see that there was another blue card that i was pretty excited about and i hope this card brings back one of my favorite decks that started i think yeah it started in origins it it i don't it never really came back it tried to come back during zendikar it was the sphinx's tutelage deck and i hope startled awake sort of helps bring that back because personally i love mill decks it's they've always been my favorite type of casual decks and when i saw what was it it was some Star City Open where someone was playing like a fog, turbo fog, Sphinx's tutelage deck. Ooh, yeah, and, I remember that. And I fell in love with it, and I immediately tried to build it. And I don't even think I even played it for FNM, but I still have like all the cards for it. But Startled Awake is a two colorless and two blue. It's a sorcery. Target opponent puts the top 13 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. And you can pay three colorless and two blue where you put startled awake from from your graveyard onto the battlefield transformed and you activate this ability only only any time you could cast a sorcery and where is the flip side ah persistent nightmare and let's see it has skulk which this creature can't be blocked by creatures with greater power which is going to be a lot of cards Uh, basically all of them because it's a one one so it's it's not like the the only thing that's going to be blocking this guy is an unflipped over thing in the ice at this point yeah pretty much and then when you deal combat damage with this persistent nightmare creature you return it to your hand and that means you just get to mill them again i i can i just say i love this card I, I, I am in love with the idea of this card. Uh, I love the fact that this is the first... I think this is the first spell that we've ever had that's a transform spell um, where one side of the card isn't a creature. Uh, it's a it's a sorcery on one side and then it's a creature on the other side. That That's just too cool. I, I love the idea and I really hope that this card does something because it, it just seems way too cool for it to not make some kind of an impact. Yeah, I hope so. And like I said, if Sphinx's tutelage becomes a thing again, I can see you putting in Startled Awake, um, the new Jace, um, Thing in the Ice, Baby Jace, Sphinx's tutelage, of course. Um, 
shit. Yeah, yeah just, just, for just overloading on, and then just overloading on a bunch of spells and counter spells, and just basically just milling your opponent into oblivion. Yep, and I feel like it's going to be a lot easier to mill your opponents now that monocolor decks are going to become more prevalent. Du- dual color decks are going to become more prevalent. Yeah, so I think that was the the big it, downfall of Sphinx's tutelage was that it just it, it it came a little bit before its time. You know, it was it came into a format where four and even five color decks were the norm, um, and so its ability just wasn't nearly as impactful as people wanted it to be. Uh, but I yeah, think- you, well, you also got to remember once it first came out that was before Zendikar. So three colors was more of the norm at the time. There there was very rarely when you splashed four colors, it was just a splash. That was yeah. it, and it was. And I've seen some, especially at my shop, some Sphinx's tutelage decks before Zendikar came out that just would wreck people because they would just consistently draw cards. Like there was what magmatic chasm and and God, whatever else. Yeah, because you could probably still do blue red for this. Yeah, guy. I could see it. I, and I mean, blue red is probably a good combination for it, or maybe blue black. Uh, just combining it with you know a ways to continue to draw cards yourself and be ways to answer whatever creatures your opponent happens to land on the board um while you're just just milling them milling them milling them milling them milling them uh i love it i i really do hope it does something because and even the flavor of this card is awesome so and the art is terrifyingly creepy uh i i just want this card to be amazing Oh yeah. Oh, and it was magmatic insight, not oh chasm. the uh, discard. Uh, what is it? Discard a land, draw two cards. Is that yeah? Yep, that's the one. Yeah, and um, oh, I I think that may be one of the first decks I build is Sphinx's tutelage. Man, you're gonna have to send <laughs> me that list because that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think I mentioned it before. The first deck I'm gonna be playing is just my Eldrazi ramp. There's it's only a few things I got to take out really, and I've got. And I just pulled a third Chandra yesterday. Oh, lucky so. duck. Oh, yeah, it was p- part of my prize pack. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. It was um, the the guy who got first place, he got, I don't know how many prize packs. It was like six or seven. And then I only got two because I got third place. And I pulled a Kozilex Return and Chandra, and he just looked at me. He's like, what the <laughs> fuck? I, the, the, the only thing of worth he pulled was a foiled um, forest oh, card. Oh, that's just desserts right there. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, he, he wasn't really, like, like mad at me or anything. He was just like, what yeah, the fuck, Yeah, he was just man? cursing his luck. It's like, I, I worked so yeah. hard to win this tournament, and I don't open squad, and you open two really powerful <laughs> mythics. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Yeah. But, um, yeah, shit. I think I'm going to start trying to plot that. Do some plot. Yeah, because Treasure Cruise is going away. God, that was yeah. so good. Uh, a lot of the super powerful cards are going away. So, I mean, and, and it's good because it's going to make room for a lot of these cards that look pretty super powerful from uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. But uh, they'll be sorely missed. I'll tell you that right now. I'm going to miss Dig Through Time very badly and, and Treasure Cruise as well. But... Yeah, and it sucks they're banned in modern, which I understand why. They're completely broken oh, in modern, totally. but it's 
it's like my all my copies of Dig Through Time. They're just going to sit there, not really doing anything. Yeah, that, I mean, and that's the sad thing. I mean, they'll not only are they abandoned modern, they're abandoned legacy too. I mean, they yeah, there there's going to be no old formats where you get to play those cards. But I mean, that's what Wizards gets for printing these busted ass cards. You know, I mean, whatever. But it does hurt to think that. I'll never get to play with those cards again, really, unless it's in a casual or EDH or something like that. Yeah. So if I'm trying to look at some of the cards here, um, of course, the big card that we talked about last time was thing in the mm-hmm. ice with modern. And um, I haven't seen too many other maybe modern playable cards that just came out this week. Uh, um, modern playable? I'm I'm not entirely sure. There is one that kind of uh, I'm looking a little sideways at, uh, and that's uh, vessel of vol. Uh, uh, what is it? Vessel vessel of validity. Uh, have you seen that? Which it's, one's uh, that? What color? It's red. It's one in a red for an enchantment uh, with the oh, ability okay. one in a red sacrifice to add red, 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 red to your mana pool. Um, oh, so basically seething song. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's a slower seething song, and it's an enchantment, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know if that'll that might. I've I've heard a couple of people. One guy I trust, who's a really really uh, proficient storm player, said that he's going to try at least one or two copies in his storm deck, um, just because it attacks from a different angle uh, and it still gives you a decent boost in mana wise. Um, and it's decently cheap. So, I mean, he's going to give it a shot, um, but I really haven't seen too much that really jumps out at me as right away, this this screams modern, you know, or this screams legacy. Uh, I'm going to have to probably wait and see what kind of takes off. But uh, I, I could see it, maybe. Yeah, I could see maybe... So maybe budget modern decks going on with vampires here, like Olivia Mobilized for War. Maybe some of the cheaper vampire cards with with vampire cards from the old Innistrad. Um, I could see I could see people doing that as like a budget type. Um, but as far as anything, maybe going tier one. The only thing I see it off the bat is Thing in the Ice. Yeah, I think everybody's well, kind of talked super about before. excited about Thing in the Ice. Uh, I mean, there are some. One thing I am noticing a sub-theme wise of this set is that there seems to be a sub-theme of tokens just scattered here and there in this set, which is which is yeah. something we got in the last Innistrad too. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these cards found their way into like a black uh, a black white tokens deck uh, in modern, um, or a uh, or or something like that. Um, the Diagraph Colossus is very interesting for zombie decks. Um, oh yeah. So that could be something that could see some play going forward, and really, actually, just really wants makes me want to build a uh, a modern zombie deck. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Nothing just immediately screams at me. This was made for an eternal format or semi eternal format. Well, here's one that I just looked at. I didn't. I forgot about this card. Invasive surgery. It's the um one blue instant that counters target sorcery spell i could definitely see that being a sideboard card 
and it, and it has delirium where if there's the four or more card types, you search your opponent's graveyard hand and library for that spell for the same name as that spell and exile those cards. Yeah, I mean, oh wow, yeah, I didn't think about that. I could see that. I mean, especially with the with the added advantage of if you happen to have delirium, it's basically got a surgical extraction attached to it. That's kind of nice. Yeah, I could definitely see that being modern play, but I would definitely try to put one or two in my um, maybe Grixis deck, just to. You know, I'm trying to think of big sorcery cards. That and that's the thing. Like, I I feel like a lot of these eternal formats, you know, dispel makes more sense just because instants seem to be way more powerful than sorceries. But uh, yeah, but you know, there are some sorceries like, you know, if if you play Island turn one and leave island open and i go shivan reef or uh or steam vents untapped serum visions and then you just go invasive surgery that i mean that sucks one mana uh one mana counter spells are always pretty powerful so i could i could see that seeing some play in modern yeah no i can see that too um i'm just trying to look at some whoops i'm looking at standard decks not modern decks <laughs> I was like, wait, why am I seeing Abzan decks? Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Siege oh. Rhino, Siege Rhino, we will not miss you. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just looking, I'm like, wait, this is just a standard deck list. Why is this in modern? It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to look at some of the... And I, I'd have to go look through it some more to yeah, see. Yeah, I, I just honestly haven't seen a whole lot that jumps out at me i'm i'm sure there's something i'm missing and there's some probably somebody screaming at their at their phone right now or their listening apparatus saying how could you not talk about this card but uh it's just not jumping out at me uh well i mean okay what about have you seen uh transverse the uvenwald uvenwald what color it's green. Is One green for a sorcery. Mm. Uh, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle your library. But if you have delirium, uh, you can search for a creature or a land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand and shuffle your library. Uh, oh, yeah, that card. Yeah, I remember do seeing that card. I will put that on my Eldrazi ramp. Yeah, back. I mean, it seems pretty cool. And in the late game, it just happens to become a, a creature tutor for whatever you want. Um that seems yep. kind of nasty, and there are some uh, some decks in modern that I could see maybe playing that, like maybe uh, Scape Shift or Tron. Um, the red green Tron might play something like that. I know they're not really keen on basics, but being able to fetch up something huge later uh, seems pretty decent. Yeah. When I was just looking at um some modern decks for invasive surgery, um. It looked like it would be decent. This is just a basic Jun list I'm seeing. You know, some of the big sorceries like Damnation, Inquisition of Kozilek, um, Maelstrom, Pulse, Thought Seize. You know, you can oh, easily yeah. counter all of those. I didn't those. think that. You know, all of the uh, yeah, all of the hand disruption spells are sorceries. Yep, and then you got Anger of the Gods too for board yep. wipes. Nope, countered. Yeah, that seems nice, especially for one mana. Um, that seems awesome. All right, I'm on board. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so I think I'm definitely going to try to sideboard that card in. Yeah, there will be a couple going um, into my uh, my blue-red deck, too. That seems that seems nice. I like it. Yeah, as far as other modern cards, um, like I said, I'm not that deep into modern yet, but I still haven't seen anything that really jumps out at me. Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to have to play modern by ear, and, and really we're going to get a better idea of um, of what this set looks like not too long after it's it begins. Um, Declaration in Stone is a very efficient removal spell, so I, I could see that maybe making some some modern play. Uh, with Which one? Declaration that? in Stone, uh, one in a white sorcery exile target creature and all other creatures its controller controls with the same name as that creature. That player investigates for each non-token creature exiled this way. Um, I can see some decks just not caring at all that they give their opponent investigate tokens. And then just basically, it, this could become like a two-mana board wipe against something like Nyazu. Uh, or Eldrazi. Or for that matter, yeah. Uh, just because it's going to exile. You know, if if your opponent goes turn one... Or if they're on the draw, let's say, and you're on the play, and turn one, you play your land, whatever. Turn one for them, they drop Eye of Ugin plus three Eldrazi Mimics, and you say, that's cute, untap, play my second mana, Declaration in Stone, all of those are exiled now. That that seems good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I could see maybe that seeing some play, just because it is super efficient. That's a super efficient removal spell. Yeah, it definitely is. It's um I'm trying to think of anything else here. Um the other card I liked for standard, which it's I I liked it and I like the drawback of it too because it makes sense, is Anguish Unmaking. Ah yes, Anguished Unmaking. By far one of my favorite arts that I've seen so far in this set too. Uh yeah, it definitely looks pretty badass. Yeah, when you get a chance, it, you should look at the... Uh, that that card is going to be the uh, game day promo. And the top eight... It's the top eight promo, uh, full art foil. Uh, and the art is the same scene, but from a different angle. And that art is super cool. Yeah, basically what the card, card does is... Um, it costs one colorless, one white, one black... And it exiles target non-land permanent, but you lose three life doing so. Which has basically made it an utter end, but with a drawback. Plus, it's one mana cheaper. Yeah, and that's why I love it. I mean, I would already play... I might even play utter end if it was the, still the same mana cost and I lost a couple life on top of it. Just because it kills everything. Um, so, to get that at one less mana at the cost of three life... Yeah, I could. I would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat. Um, it's, and the fact that we're finally getting back to instant speed, three mana, kill anything. Yeah. I'm all over that. Yep. It, I'm glad it's come back because I've definitely missed heroes downfall, even though that doesn't exile, it just kills creature planeswalker. It's, it's been kind of painful without it, especially for it's control been decks. so painful, so terribly painful. So many times when I've been sitting there with a freaking ruinous path in my hand and just saying, I would give anything right now for you to be a hero's downfall. You know, it's just, 
just change that sorcery speed to instant and 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 we can be friends again but right now i i hate you so much ruinous bow yeah it's sad <laughs> it's like it does the pretty much the exact same thing but it has awaken and just by the time you even get up to that much mana for awaken you're just like i don't give no, a fuck don't. i'd rather I'd rather do something exactly. else. Exactly. I, I would rather just not have the awaken, make it instant, and and call it a day. But you know, whatever. I get. They decided that black removal was too good. Okay, you gave us crappy black re- removal. You realize that was a mistake. Okay, now we get some good removal again. So, uh, and it is rare. So that I mean, for uh, you know, for limited purposes, it's not like you're going to see this card all the time, like you do freaking Oblivion Strike right now. Uh, oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I just did a draft tonight actually, where I had three Oblivion Strikes and two isolated uh, isolation zones. Yeah, I Jeez. I did I did not lose. <laughs> <laughs> How could you? It felt dirty. I felt very dirty. Yeah, I need to draft again. God, I've, I haven't drafted in months. It feels like now. Yeah, get it in while you can, because I mean, I actually did like this draft format, and and since it will be going away uh, for you know a good long while, I don't know when they'll bring it back on Magic Online, but um, this was a pretty fun draft format. I I don't have too many complaints about the uh, Battle for Zendigar Oath of the Gatewash draft format. Yeah, the Oath in Battle for Zendigar drafts I did do. Where they were, I had a lot more fun with them than just triple battle. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think it just oath added a, a completely new dynamic to it. Uh, triple battle was very. There were just two obviously really good decks, and both of them were devoid. And if you weren't in those decks, you were going to have a really hard time. And if you were the really unlucky bastard that got stuck drafting green, uh, you were just done. You, oh yeah, there was green was completely completely useless. unplayable, um, but oath actually made green playable again and actually decently good. There were a couple of green archetypes that I thought were were pretty close to top tier in limited. So um, I had a good time. I had a really good time with with oath and uh, oath and battle uh, limited, and uh, uh, I'll be sad to see it go. But I'm hoping that this limited format is going to be just as good as original Innistrad was and. And if so, then it will be one of my favorites of all time. So, can't really complain. Yeah, I'm hoping it's good. I just, like I said, I haven't played Limited in so long. It's just been, it just like anything, you get rusty yeah. at it. And it's, I don't know, since my since my game store doesn't do Limited enough, it I just don't pay much attention every time I do a draft on magic online i usually do horrible because i never know what to draft since i don't play the format that yeah. much i mean and usually and i try not to do this i i try not to rare draft but i only rare draft if it's something really good and i can just sell it real quick after and it's that's done. the thing about moto i mean I, I love the fact that it's an option that's open to us and i and i love that it lets me play limited whenever i want to because uh, it's so hard to a lot of times I, I'm I'm blessed that at my local store we have a very healthy limited scene. We've got a lot of guys that love to draft. Um, but I've lived in areas where I mean we could never get a live draft to file or fire unless somebody you know bought a box and we went to somebody's house and we drafted that way. Um, so I love the fact that Moto gives us that option. But I do find myself rare drafting in in Moto 
a lot when I get low on tickets. It's like, oh, I'm low on tickets. Well, I better rare draft this draft. That way I have enough tickets to, to get back into another draft. And uh, it kind of it makes rare drafting a lot more prevalent. And, and so a lot of times the matches matchups that you get are against subpar decks because people have been uh, just rare drafting the entire time to get more tickets. Yeah, and that's one of the problems I have with Moto is that it costs exactly the same as it would a live draft. And yeah, it's it's not ideal. I'll say that, um, but you know, it's great. I, I love that it's great for me. That you know, if if I'm let's like let's say I'm home with the kids and, and they're taking a nap, it's like, well, they're going to be down for a couple hours. What can I do? Uh, well, I could do a draft. Oh yeah, okay, let's do a draft. You know, I, I just like having the option. It's definitely a flawed system, um, and and I rage at Moto probably more than I rage at anything. Uh, but uh, I, I like that I have the option. But it's definitely not perfect. Yeah, and I I agree, it's not perfect. And I have such a hard time playing Magic online. Even even when I'm playing like Cockatrice or X Mage for when I'm trying to practice for a PPTQ or an IQ, it's I have such a hard time playing it because I, it's I, I'm not interacting with my right. opponent. It's and it's like I can't really catch any clues or cues of what they may be doing. It's all just. It's all just I'm playing like I'm playing against a computer. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. There, there's something about when you're sitting across from a live person. You know, you can read tells. You can, you know, have some playful banter from time to time. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's definitely not the same as just playing against the machine. Uh, it's a nice thing to have when you can't play test with live people. Um, but it's definitely not ideal. And I don't think it was created to be the ideal thing. That's why they don't push it as hard as they push um, other things. But it's uh, it's just kind of there as an option. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's just an option, but it's not, a, it's not always a great one. And you know what would make me play Moto a lot more is if they had some sort of sub-subscription option. Say you subscribe, I don't know, 20 bucks a month, and you get like four or five free drafts a month out of that. I wouldn't be surprised if they take that in some take it in some kind of a direction like that going forward. Um, just like with the leagues that they've been doing, uh, it feels yeah. like they're trying to experiment with new ways to enjoy it. And the leagues have been a blast. I mean, if, if I can say one good thing about Moto, it's that the leagues are superb. Uh, being able to go in on my time and say, hey, uh, oh, okay, I'll, I'll get my sealed pool. Um, I'll build my deck when I want to. Uh, and then, you know, I'll just play my five matches when I want to and I get prizes based on how many matches I win. I mean, that's, that, that is like, that is a, an excellent system. And I hope they continue to do stuff similar to that going forward. And I like that idea about the subscriptions. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I can't see them, you know, maybe profiting off of if it's su subscription and you get unlimited drafts. I think that's unrealistic. No. But if you just got like X amount of drafts or may or maybe X amount of play points for it so you could be able to play, you know, like maybe 10 constructed matches a month. Yeah, just some something know. that would grant some kind of a reward for a subscription base. 
Um, and then you would, you know, they they would probably make more money off that because I I'd have to admit I'd probably subscribe to something like that if I got, you know, four free drafts a month. Yeah, I would do that. Oh yeah, it, I would I would do that definitely because it's you, know, you you probably know what I mean. It's basically you know you only have X amount of money for Magic a month, and what would you rather do? Spend it on digital where you do have the chance of redeeming it or i'd or just go buy paper magic and i'd rather buy paper magic anytime over playing digital certainly i mean because especially because you feel like you're basically doubling your collection uh because you know i go online and i'm like oh well i want to play this deck well i have four copies of this card in real life you know i have four snapcaster mages in paper do i really want to pay another 200 bucks to have four digital snapcaster mages that in reality just mean nothing you know it it, it doesn't it's not a feel yeah. good moment when you have to basically have two collections that you're spending two dollar amounts on to keep current uh that's just that's too painful on the wallet for me yeah definitely it's i i can't afford to do both i mean if I did do both, I don't think my wife would be happy with me. Oh, I know that I would wake <laughs> up dead. <laughs> it, would, it would just yeah. be the end of me. <laughs> yeah, especially if I were to buy like any like major magic investment right now, trying to buy a house. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, babe, um, I'm going to buy these magic cards instead of buying the house. So, yeah. We're done. I think uh, I think you're gonna like the cardboard box I got us to live in, honey. But don't worry, my magic collection is robust now. Oh, and the magic collection takes up more room than we do <laughs> in the in the cardboard box. So, you know, uh, suck oh it up. Oh my god, we would be dead men. <laughs> of course, but yeah. Oh, oh, let me see if there's any other cards. I mean, yeah, there's the only other card that looked, I guess, fun for some casual fun or tokens becomes a thing is that second. Harvest. Yeah, I was looking at that, too. It's like I look at it initially and what goes through my mind is doubling season. And then I'm oh, just yeah. like, oh, this could get busted so quickly. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much we'll see it in constructed, but that I mean, I've got some. I've got some nasty, fun uh, token-based EDH decks that I plan on having a second harvest in. Yeah, I used to have um, Rise Dark. That's the one I've got. <laughs> yeah. I, I had one built, but I took them apart because I don't. just any time I would play with friends and someone would borrow my Rise to Redeem deck, and it would just be no fun. You'd be like, oh, turn five, turn six. Oh, we've got 30 creatures on the yep. board. Like, Fuck. Okay. <laughs> there are some EDH decks that it's just like, you know, this was really fun to do once and kick all of your asses with, uh, but we're friends and I want to keep this friendship, so we're not going to play this deck anymore. Yeah. I mean, especially like, especially EDH, it's, to me, it's never, I'm not competitive at all with no, EDH. No, but neither am I. It's, um, yeah, I've built two EDH decks that I thought were going to be fun. Rise the Redeem was one of them. But when you play them or play against it, it's like, holy shit, what was I thinking? Yeah, I just made this way too good. <laughs> I I am a horrible, sick human being. Yeah. And then um, the other one was my Sliver deck, 
because I got so excited because I finally acquired my favorite card of all time, Sliver Queen. Uh. And I wanted to build a deck, so I had Sliver Overlord as the general. And that deck is not fun to play against. <laughs> my God. It's it's really it's really painful. I can only imagine. <laughs> Good Lord. Because as soon as you get that one Sliver... Sh- shit, well, what is it? Like, as soon as a Sliver comes into play, destroy target enchantment or artifact. Oh, right. It's just... <sighs> I can't remember. Just, yeah. It's it's not fun. <laughs> Well, it's, it's I mean, fun it's, for it, one person. It's not fun for the rest of the table. But it is fun for the yeah. one guy who gets to do that all the time. Yeah, like we brought um two my my wife knew these um these two ladies that play EDH and we brought them over and my wife decided to play the sliver deck and she she still she knows how to play magic, but she's not, you know, she didn't know all the ins and outs mm-hmm. of it and she played that deck and just wrecked us all. Like she just got it on complete lockdown, and just and I was playing my um. I was playing. What was I playing? Oh, I was playing my Crufix deck. Oh, cool. And and yeah, she just completely locked down the entire game, and no one could do anything because she had that stupid sliver where destroy target artifact or enchantment, and just and just fuck. wreck and everybody. Then you, <laughs> yeah. And she was taking control of creatures because of the amoeba thing. And then she was just, they had shroud, they had hexproof. Just like, well, fucking shit, (laughs) you win. All right, let's play again, I guess. And then I hate playing against her, too, because she always targets me. I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, you're the best player here. It's like, you're going to be a threat. I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) I mean, I will, but not right now. I've done nothing. <laughs> I've just played lands. Kill somebody else. <laughs> yeah, no, she does that shit. Oh, purpose, absolutely. So Are you kidding me? Anytime my wife plays EDH with me, uh, first of all, we're usually very, very drunk. Uh, and second of all, she just slaughters all of us all the time. Like, I've got a couple of friends that are way into EDH. Um and, you know, they'll come up and visit us up here and, you know, we'll play. And, and Allison, I don't know how, my wife, uh, she just tears us apart and she plays the least magic out of any of us. Uh, what does she play? Uh, usually she plays, um, my friend has more decks than I do. Um, but he, she, last time he brought up a, uh, oh, who was the guy from Theros who became a god? The red green Xenagos. He had a he had a Xenagos yeah. deck that was uh the Xenagod Xenagos. Um yeah. which was basic it, it's just basically a red green stompy ramp monstrosity. Uh and and she just tore us to pieces with that deck. Um and then uh the other one that he brought up was the Scion of the Ur Dragon deck. Uh, which is just absolutely no fun at all to play against. And Kevin, if you're listening, put that deck away. It's no fun. It's I, I don't want to play against you anymore <laughs> with that deck. Reanimating all your dragons. No, I'm done. No more. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's fun. I, I, th- I think that's why I love EDH so much is, you know, my wife does not play magic. She does not enjoy constructed magic. She hasn't since, uh, since infect was a thing. Um, and uh, but she loves to play commander because basically it, it doesn't matter how long you've been playing. Anybody can win a commander and it, it's still a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. No, it's um, 
<clears throat> my game store has a pretty competitive EDH league, and I was a part of it for one month, but I just couldn't make all the games because I've been, you know, I, I work too much, and I can only really make it Mondays and Fridays, but they had it on Sundays. But, um, yeah, my game store, they're, like, super competitive with EDH. It's the exact type of people, like, who will get mad if they lose and, you know, those they just take it way too seriously. Oh, and, I hate that. And, what, and while it's not a bad thing, it's just it it makes – and that, that's why I built that Rise the Redeem deck and Sliver deck so well is because I wanted to bring it there and win and all that because they just – make you want to build decks that are just even better than they should be. Because, like I said, EDH to me is just casual, but they just make it so competitive where you just need the best cards. Right, right. So, it's, I, I've, sort of, I've sort of gone away from EDH the past few months because, one, if I want to be competitive in something, I'd rather focus on standard or modern. Right, exactly. And, and I, I echo that entirely to me. EDH is all fun. I can never imagine playing competitively EDH because I already play way too much competitive formats as it is. Um, yeah. But uh, I do know some people that do play competitively and love it. Um, but yeah, it, to me, it's it's always it's the it's the magic party game. You know, it's the one that you introduce the new players to and be like, hey, this is how fun and busted magic can be and can be very very funny. Uh, let's 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 play this crazy format called EDH. Um, and we always just have a blast when we play it, and I can't imagine ruining that by making it super competitive. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, well, so I, I feel like we're pretty done with Innistrad, um, spoilers, but let me ask you this. It's been a question that has been sort of brewing in my mind, and I, I sort of feel a little split on it. What do you consider to be fair and magic and and let me preface this by you i hear a lot of people especially in this edh league my store has you know they try to ban certain cards they try to ban um you know combos or infinite combos and while infinite combos are going off can seem unfair to people but to me if it's since it's a competitive league I always feel if there's something on the line, you should, to win, I feel that like you should be able to do anything you want to be able to win as long as it's in within the rules and the boundaries of the game and you're not playing any illegal cards. Yeah, sir, I mean, and, and I certainly feel the same way to a degree. Um, I know that the competitive league that my, my friend Kevin is a part of uh, is a competitive uh, EDH league. And while they don't ban uh infinite combos and things like that uh they discourage them by having a point system attached to their matches um yeah where you will actually get negative points for going off uh with the infinite combo you'll still win the game and you'll still get you know the max points for winning uh but you might lose a couple points because you did it with an infinite combo um the okay. way that i see it you know if it's a part of magic's history if it's part of the game it was put into the game for a reason. And Wizards rarely makes like full-on mistakes. They have made cards that go off with infinite combos in the past because for a lot of people, an infinite combo is pretty fun. You know, and it is. I've I've played many a Splitter Twin matchups. Uh I've played many uh 
uh, this will tell you how horrible a person I was that I played eggs when eggs was a deck. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've played many infinite combo style decks and they are a lot of fun. Uh, they're not fun to be played against with, but they're fun to go off. You know, it's fun to say, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to do this crazy thing. You're going to see how cool my crazy deck is. Um, and we're all going to have a good laugh about how, how badly I destroyed all of you with my two card combo. Um, so I think if it's in if it's in there, if it's a legal card, if it has not been actually banned, then it's a legal card and you should let people use it and play with it because maybe that's how they have fun. And, you know, if you don't have fun with them going off, well, then, you know, you don't have to play against them or you can say. You know, like I've said before, hey, for this game, why don't we play decks where we don't have any infinite combos? And we've all got at least one deck that, you know, is more straightforward and doesn't have an infinite combo or maybe doesn't have as many infinite combos. Um, and we could play it that way. But there is a level of fun and enjoyment that you can get watching somebody go off and watching the intricacies of these two cards that had really no business being together in the first place and now they come together to make this awesome win for somebody i i like seeing that i like seeing that kind of thing and and i i discourage people from banning infinite combos in their entirety i don't mind the system of of giving people negative points maybe for going off with an infinite combo um, yeah. I think that's a pretty good system. It balances it out. It lets the people that really just want to go off with infinite combos all day, it lets them do that. Um, and it doesn't feel as bad for the people that keep getting comboed out. Um, but in general, I, I, I think they're in the game for a reason. There are people that enjoy that and have a level of fun with that. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody about having some fun with infinite combos. So uh, I, I think they should exist. And they do exist, so we just got to find a way to beat them. <laughs> and, and that's how I've always felt, too. And not just infinite combos, but I guess also what people consider unfair or unfun decks, whether they be, you know, hard lockdown decks for control or decks that, like, four-color rally. Yeah, and I mean, well, and, and that even makes less sense to me than infinite combo because, like like, prison decks and lockdown decks and stuff like that, you know those decks are not that hard to beat. You know there are ways that you can beat a deck that doesn't just require two cards and they just go off and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, these kind of soft lock decks and uh, and decks that are, you know, quote unquote unfun. They're they're a lot easier to beat if you just know how to you know if you know what you're doing. Uh, so yeah. and, and that's another thing. Like some people get a lot of enjoyment out of these soft blocks, and I think you should just let people have fun, man. No matter what that's gonna be, what no matter what that looks like, if if fun for this guy is going off with an infinite combo, if fun for this guy is playing the the Zidrew the Great Heart prison deck plus diplomat deck, uh, if fun for this guy is making just a, a mecha crap ton of tokens. Uh, you know, let everybody have their fun how they want to have fun. And that's really what EDH was always kind of all about is just let's just have fun and enjoy this game and the and the crazy combinations we can come up with and the crazy weird decks that we can come up with. Um, and I, I've, I feel bad about 
taking that away from people. Yeah, it's, I agree, but it's also, um, when I think of constructed formats too, whenever I hear people say, you know, certain constructed decks feel unfair, unfun, like, um, and while, while I know some decks could definitely be abused, like the Amulet Bloom deck was definitely, could be abused and, um, you know, there's Gorio's Vengeance in Modern and, and even in Standard today, there's Four Color Rally, there's Atarka Red that could be explosive, it's, or Abzan Company, just, you know, whatever format. But to me, it always feels like, especially when there's money on the line, you should just play whatever you need to play to exactly. win. Exactly, absolutely. It's reg regardless if it's unfair or unfun, it's, at that point, when you're at a competitive event, it's, it's cutthroat. It you, you don't need to worry about someone's feelings. If it's oh, is this oh unfun? I'm sorry. I don't care about your yeah, feelings. Yeah, and I think that's you know that's you know your your podcast in particular is about transitioning from the kitchen table to to more competitive magic. And I I think yeah you know especially with with guys that I've mentored and taken from the kitchen table to competitive FNM and, and even higher competitive levels, the thing that they always had to get over was. You know, when, when we're at the kitchen table, when we're just playing, you know, this is this is for fun. We're going to joke around and, you know, we're going to play crazy weird decks. And nobody's going to get their feelings hurt, you know. But once you step out in the competitive realm, and that's not just true with magic, it's true with competitive anything, you know, you're yep. going to do what you got to do to win. Uh, and in magic specifically, I hearken back to, I don't know if you were playing standard during the Cobblade days. Um, nope. That, no, but I wasn't. I had the unfortunate pleasure of playing during the Cobblade days, and you know, a lot of people would say that was a very unfun format because everybody was playing Cobblade, and and I look at them and say, you know, everybody was playing Cobblade because that deck was just amazing, and that's just the deck you you wanted to play to win, um, and that's why that deck got so inbred and, and was everywhere, and everybody was playing it is because it was just that good. Uh, and these guys make their living playing these decks, you know, and, and playing this game for money. So to tell them that, you know, they're playing an unfair or an unfun deck, no, just shut up. You, th this guy needs to make his paycheck, and he's going to play the best deck he can possibly play to make his paycheck. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel. But it was just something I wanted to bring up because I hear that all oh, the yeah. time. Especially at the F and M level, it's like, yeah, the F and M level, it's casual. You know, I mean, there's if your store hands out money, it's usually very little money. Um, but e even then, it's to me, I, I look at F and M as practice. Yeah, that's all. I and look I think at it a as. lot of people do uh, at our level of play. You know, the kind of the 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 amateur but semi professional that that doesn't travel to too many big events uh, and doesn't really have a team that they can play test with I, I know for me FNM is my practice I mean if I know I'm going to be driving up to an IQ this weekend uh, I'm going to be you know I'm going to be at my FNM that Friday night because I better get my practice in I better get my reps in with this deck. So, so oh, yeah. a lot of times when I go to FNM, I'm playing it just as seriously as I would play it at an IQ or a PPTQ, just because like I need to get myself in that correct mindset. 
and a lot of people have gotten pissed before in the past because I'm just I've just been so serious at F and M. I'm like, you know, this is this is the only practice I get for this major tournament where I that could be a life changing tournament if I were to make the pro tour or qualify for an invitational. So, you know, don't yeah. don't get a stick up your butt because I'm playing this game seriously uh, right now. Th- this is the only practice I'm going to get. Yeah, and I, I can see where people get a stick up their butt. As, I mean, as long as you're not being an asshole. I mean, I don't see why people should even get mad. But you know, you know what? People's feelings get hurt, and yeah, and, and you know, whatever and other get mad because they're like, oh, the variants. I got mana screwed. I got I got mana flooded. You know, those are those are parts of the game, man. Those are going to be parts of the game at any level that you play. And just just get yep. over it. I feel like. Magic players are always just looking for the next thing to complain about. So it's just. That's true with everything, not just magic yeah. players. Although. It's everything in although life. Although it seems really prevalent in the magic community for some reason. Like I, I heard one guy make this analogy and uh, I couldn't remember who it was. It was on a podcast I was listening to at one point where he said that uh, wizards could give us uh, a $50 bill in every booster pack and somebody would find a way to complain about how it was folded. You know, it's just, it just seems to be all over the place, but uh, maybe, maybe that's just me. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. There'd still be people complaining about it, but all right, man, it's been really fun. It's getting late for me and I need to be up early tomorrow. Uh, Yeah. Same here, man. Hey, it's been a joy and a pleasure. I, I'm always excited to come on and talk. So whenever you, whenever you like having me, I'll always be around. All right. Great. Thanks, man. Have a good night. Bye. All right. Bye.